Okay, good day, and welcome to the Great White North More Front Wing Podcast Day. Uh, my name is Steph Wallcraft, and this is my co-editor, Paul. You're supposed to say, how's it going? Hey there, Ozer, how are you? <laughs> no, that's Wisconsin. That's my name. <laughs> that's Minnesota. That's all right. Most people from the States are consider Wisconsin Canadian anyway. All right, so... Here we are, and uh, some of you may recall that at this weekend last year, Paul and I launched a little bit of a tradition, what we hope will become a tradition, um, and that was the, well, last year it was the Rooftop Podcast, this year it's the Balcony Podcast, so I'm, I'm in a different apartment now, in this slightly different um, viewpoint, we can't quite see the CN Tower from here, but we do have a lovely view of the, of the lake, and... Um, We've got a glass of wine each that will probably turn into more than one. I'm not going to be shy about admitting that we have a little bit of a head start. Uh, a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> um, and we just had so much positive feedback about this podcast format when we did it last year. Just having a having a little adult bevy and chatting about IndyCar for an hour and seeing go. what happens. So we decided to try it again and see what you guys think. Um, so here we are, and Paul actually was Paul was the one who wanted to describe the surroundings. So tell us what you're seeing here in, in beautiful downtown Toronto, Paul, while I pick this fruit fly out of my wine glass. <laughs> and beautiful is really an understatement. Toronto, if you haven't been here, it truly is one of the world's great metropolitan areas. Uh, as we sit here, we, as Steph said, we've moved about six blocks down. We? Uh, <laughs> the podcast has moved about six, <laughs> about six blocks down uh, west on Lakeshore Boulevard. So if you hear the background, the ambient cars going by, that's actually Lakeshore Boulevard. That's down about six floors and 50 feet from us. If you follow that, oh, I don't know, about a kilometer or so, probably two kilometers to the southwest. I don't think, not even. You're, uh, you're on the back. kilometer, probably. Yeah, well, you'll be on the back straight of the uh, track that we'll be at tomorrow. To our right, we see the uh, the beautiful Lake uh, Lake Ontario with the, the boats are out there. Plane just landed on the uh, the island airport. We have the Gardner Expressway just beyond the lakeshore, which, if you hurry, it looks like eastbound traffic is actually moving right now. <laughs> the odds of that happening this weekend are slim to none. Yeah, any times that people are going to be wanting to get around down here. Do you want to describe your traffic debacle today, Paul? Coming down to, to yes. our apartment uh, here, yeah. not very far from the track. Maybe we can deter people from trying to duplicate this experience. And, and just no sooner do I say that, I can see the westbound is still uh, stop and go. So, and that's it. Uh, the tick before nine o'clock on a Thursday night. I said this to Paul earlier. I, this is why every time I go to Indy and people say that you have quote unquote traffic, I laugh because then everybody from down there comes up here and they're like, "Oh my gosh!" Yes. Yeah, so to get from the airport today, which is out on the northwest of the city, this uh, is Pearson Airport. Pearson Airport, the big one, not the yeah. the little one on the island that uh, that people are landing on now. Uh, it was almost it was over two hours from the airport down here. Me being the uh, travel genius that I think I, I normally am, I figured I could avert traffic and take the side streets, and, uh, well, it just didn't work out well. And, and I would like to point out that that's because Paul didn't listen to me. <laughs> I gave him a route, and he did not follow that route. Yes, if he had listened to me, he would have gotten here faster. We're supposed to be talking about IndyCar. Yeah, eventually. Yeah. This is about IndyCar, because what we're going to try to convince people here, do not try to drive downtown this weekend. You will regret it. Believe me, I live down here all the time. I'm on that highway, and people are just like, we're going to the hockey game, and we're stuck in traffic, and I'm saying, I just want to go home. <laughs> if your route or your route, route. 
<laughs> if you see the word Gardner Express, the words Gardner Expressway on it, figure something else out. <laughs> yes, pretty much. Because it won't work. You will miss the game. You will miss the race. Don't do it. No, it's that's the truth. I've got sort of a very detailed, um, very specific. I can't say route anymore because now you're going to make fun of me. A very specific road plan. That I'm sorry, I'm what were you talking about? <laughs> I'm trying to think of a Bob and Doug joke and it's eluding me. Um, so anyhow, the point is, Paul's here now and we're enjoying this beautiful view. It, you may hear in the background some traffic. Unfortunately, all the street racers know that it's race week weekend, so they're all out drag racing on public streets. And so you'll hear some of those go on occasion. You might hear a plane land. There's a little fountain that's part of our condominium complex that's going in the background. So it's really quite lovely. It's a beautiful summer evening, and they're calling actually for really nice... I know, yes. Paul has been bringing beautiful, cool, and temperature, temperate temperatures everywhere he's gone so far this year. And everywhere I've been, there's been rain. So there's got to be some kind of, like, clash of... I do have to apologize for letting it rain in Iowa briefly. It was ridiculously hot and muggy, and it just needed to rain a little bit to get the mugginess out. Oh, and that was all you, was it? Absolutely. <laughs> 26 wow. minutes. We pushed the race up 20 minutes. We delayed it 26 minutes. It really uh, it really was kind of a wash, and absolutely gorgeous night after that. Mm. We'll get to Iowa later. Yes, we will. Um, so just quickly, before we move on from the Toronto stuff, since we're on it now, um, I did have a chance to glance at the weather forecast, and they were calling, yeah, it's like high 70s, they're calling for. Yeah, the lows in the uh, mid to upper 50s, as I recall. Mm, so it should be, I mean, you've been here for the race weekends where it's in the 90s. Mm-hmm. Yes, we do get that kind of weather here, believe well, it or not. Cheers for using the Fahrenheit, by the way. Yeah, well, you know, I, I'm adaptable. Appreciate that. I appreciate it. I do my best. Um, so it's, it's going to actually be pretty nice conditions. But there is a little bit of rain possible in the forecast on Sunday, so we'll have to see how that plays out. But the temperatures at least look very pleasant, and there, there's not too much harsh weather up until that point being called for at this stage. So should be good. Yeah. Just like today, today was gorgeous. Mm. Hey, speaking of today, before we move on, there's some stuff that went on at the track today that I could talk about. Because already, you know, there was a bit of a media half-day thing. So, can, should I do my, my two-seater rant? Yes, please, yeah. go ahead. My husband's I'm going to refill here real yeah, quick. Yeah, go ahead. My <laughs> husband's going to laugh because um, he's going to hear this rant and, and learn the truth about how I feel about this whole thing. You're getting wine all over my table. I don't have any... Okay, here, mop it up with this box score. <laughs> here we go. We printed up a couple of box scores so that we wouldn't sound like idiots, and now one of them is Paul's coaster. There we go. <laughs> to IndyCar specifically, but it's worth a mention. I took two laps around the circuit today. One of them was in a Cadillac CTSV, and that was kind of cool. Um, it was that it was a starkly different experience from the second lap that I took around the track, which was in a McLaren GT. That was awesome. Um, and it was it was actually really very interesting and, and very telling about how the different characteristics of a car can play out in a in a closed track environment like that because it was Johnny O'Connell driving the CTS and he um, he was oh he had it sideways in just about every corner squealing the tires and, and down the straight it was it was good but man that 
that McLaren was just taken off in front of him, and I thought to myself, that is going to be something when I get into that car. And then the, the McLaren was just, uh, just like butter. It was amazing. Just took off like a shot, and it's all acceleration until the braking zone, which was about probably a third of the braking distance that the, that the CTS needed. Um, the the slick tires that were on it gave it so much grip. It was right up against the wall, and he actually got it. He had a couple of wiggles, but they were so quick. And he corrected them so quickly that he almost didn't even notice them from the passenger seat. It was amazing. Fast But anyhow, that was those were my first two laps around that circuit. I've been coming to this race since 1990, and that's the first two laps I've taken around that track. I mean, apart from when the track is not set up and you get your passenger car out there on Lakeshore going 80, going <laughs> <laughs> Everybody does that, but yeah. I'm glad you were screaming down Lakeshore while I was sitting in traffic on the gardener. Well, I told you to leave before. <laughs> anyway, so the thing that struck me though, and I'll put all this in the live blog, which by the way, we're going to be launching the live blog tomorrow morning and have it going all weekend long, so please do follow along tomorrow morning by that, I mean today, by the time you're listening to this. Um, everybody talks about how bumpy this track is, and I felt it in the CTS, but I did not feel it at all in the McLaren. It was sus- the suspension must have been just really, really nice and wiggly. Um, but definitely the um, the Indy cars would, would be much harsher going down that straight, especially although they have repaved it in the last couple of years. Yeah, sure. Yeah. I think it was done a couple of years ago. Um, and all of the stretch that you can see here in front of us mm-hmm. and past Exhibition Place and the lanes opposite where the Indy cars run, because they only closed down the westbound lanes for the track, right? The eastbound lanes as well. All of that was just repaved about a month ago. So this stuff is actually smoother right now than the lanes that Paul's looking over the balcony right now, checking it out. (laughs) Um, (laughs) You just bumped your head on my balcony railing. Should I cut you off? Yeah, should I cut Should I cut you off for you? No, he's going to pour himself some more. So, yeah, the, the funny thing about it was that they redid those lanes just a couple of years ago, and then when they repaved all of this, they didn't do that part, because it had only been done a couple of years ago, but the, the result of it is that all the roads around Exhibition Place are actually smoother than the track is at the moment, and but not it's to, still not terrible. And not to get too ingenuity on you, but what... what you are so good at ingenuity. <laughs> what would be a track mix... Uh, an asphalt mix that would go on a track would be very, very expensive and unnecessary for uh, There's no for, way the city of Toronto would spend that. No. It, uh, there's a lot of shear resistance needed for uh, for racetrack pavement and stuff that you wouldn't need for a, 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 a municipal street. So what they would put down on here, they would not want to put down as part of the track. So I would, I would be fairly certain that's why that was excluded. Mm. But there, it was interesting because, and I really, really wanted to do the track walk, walk that I did a couple times, uh, like two years ago and three years ago. I don't think I got to it last year. Really wanted to do it again this year, but I just haven't had time. It's 
been crazy between the sports car race at Mosport last weekend and I had a couple of trips in the last couple of weeks. I just I just could not get to it as much as I wanted to. Are you looking for sympathy here? But that you I had know, to go on I these know. trips. I know. My life is so but hard. See, you had to go to the yeah. NASCAR trip. You had to go. I had to go drive a Nissan GTR. Yes. I know. It's it's a rough life. Let me feel sorry for you. <laughs> Actually, I'm extremely grateful for my job and what I do. But, um, yeah, just the result of all of that was that I didn't get time to go and do the track walk, which is too bad because there's so much to talk about with the track this year that's different. Um, some of the areas around that front street were paved with this pavement, this new pavement. There should be a little bit of a break between turn one and turn two and shooting off onto, onto the back straight that is newer pavement than what the back street is because they had it cut out a section of turn two to put the new pavement down. So there would be the old asphalt, the concrete in turn one. Which is always traditionally very rough and bump, uh, slick. Yeah, back to the old asphalt and then a section of brand new asphalt and then the two-year-old asphalt on the back street. Yeah, so I don't know whether it's going to make a difference to the teams or not, but it's definitely something to keep an eye on. I did see you mention also the grandstands on the front straight. You said they were, I believe your quote was down. Now, I didn't understand yeah. if you meant down as a no. down in number or down further toward turn one. One of the one of those quirks of Twitter where you've only got 140 <laughs> characters to work with. There are far, far, far fewer pit lane Ew. seats this year because they're putting in a hotel on Exhibition Place. And I don't actually know, to be perfectly honest with you, the full details of that, what... I assume it was prompted by the Pan Am Games, the need for, for accommodation in that area, and that's something that is also going to be a recurring theme this weekend, is discussion of the upcoming Pan Am Games next year, which is due to fall on this weekend, next July. And so there's been a lot of discussion. I think Kurt Cavan uh, said on Trackside, we were told this week that um, it's, this date is being slated for late June next year. And um, I'm going to slide a little bit of a shameless plug in here because um, for five hours this weekend, yes, that's right, count of five between the two days, I'm going to be spending time with Eric Thomas of Raceline Radio on Sportsnet 590 The Fan here in Toronto, which is kind of the big sports AM uh, radio station, just um, talking about all these subjects. And one of the interviews that we have lined up for, for I think it's on Saturday morning, is Charlie Johnstone, and so that's definitely a question that I've got lined up to ask him about is um, what the plans are to get around the Pan Am Games, if they're going to move the date, whether it'll be a permanent move, that that sort of thing. So we'll get to that this weekend and uh, sort of try to get to the bottom of that as much as we can. They may not even know fully at this stage because nothing is official until the schedule is released, right? So... But it's definitely something that we got on the slate. And just to complete that shameless plug, you can probably find... I, I for, Forgive me, I don't know exactly what the URL is, but it'll be something along the lines of sportsnet590.ca or 590thefan.ca. If you Google it, you'll find it. But the website definitely has a list of live link on it, and I will be on there with Eric Thomas, who has covered every single year of this race, by the way. Um, he's going into his 28th. Yeah, and so uh, I'm very honored to be joining him as a co-host, and that will be from 10 a.m. to 12.30 p.m. on both Saturday and Sunday, so please do check that out if you've got the time. We'll be going through qualifying. Don't abandon IMS Radio because they're wonderful, but, you know, when you've got time around them, come and check <laughs> us out.
Um, so anyhow, back to the hotel, because it actually is affecting this year's track as well. We mentioned that there are fewer seats, fewer grandstand seats on the front straight. It's also, um, and thank you to Joe Bergmeier of Trackside Online for, for mentioning this on Twitter and making me actually think about it. It's actually necessitated a reorganization of the exit to pit lane as well. Because pit lane is always, in Toronto, kind of the wall ends, and then it just sort of nicely dumps out, dumps out onto the, the front straight, and there's a blend line, and you kind of rejoin at one. Not anymore. There's it. You, once you get to the last pit stall, there's this huge funnel, two concrete walls that run together for probably about a hundred feet. Uh, is the hotel going back where they were under construction the last several years, where their Thunder Alley was? No, it's between. Um, you know where the media center is in the Allstream Center. Mm -hmm. It's right beside that on the front street. So if you're if you were walking out to pit lane last year, you would leave the Allstream Center and walk through a fence, and you were basically on pit lane, right? Now you have to walk a whole like 200 feet probably from the Allstream Center now before you're actually physically on pit lane, and it's just a big tunnel. Hmm. It's not ideal. It's probably just for this year that they'll have to do it um, because the construction has has encroached on that road a little bit more. Than, than the hotel itself will when it's built. But, but I don't believe there were ever... I mean, no, no, you're right. There were stands on the inside. You're right. There were stands yeah. all the way pretty well down yeah. almost to the Allstream Center. Yeah, you're right. So they probably lost about... I'm, I'm thoroughly guessing, so don't quote me on this, but I would say between three and 5,000 seats. Are they added them anywhere else? I don't know that yet. I, I looked at the map and I didn't see anything standing out to me. I know there are more suites this year. And uh, Honda's got a big suite, as always, but the slate of support series this weekend is, is very, very strong. And um, one of the support series that they're bringing in is the, oh no, bear with me, let me try to get this right. The Ultra 94 Porsche GT3 Cup Canada Challenge presented by Michelin. Yeah, it's a mouthful. Anyway, it's the GT3 Cup Canada series. Well done. The Porsches. And um, so Porsche's got a big hospitality suite on the outside of the track. Um, so I know that that'll be taking up a fair amount of space. And there are suites elsewhere as well that are that are um, pretty sizable as usual. But I don't know where they're going to seat more people. I haven't seen them. But I mean, I'm, one of the things I've got on my docket for tomorrow is to do my same track walk around and the spectator seating guide that we've been getting into the habit of doing these weekends. We, by we, I mean I. Because I don't think you've done one yet. Yeah, he's looking quite sheepish at the moment. <laughs> but, um, yeah, I actually, I got, I have all the information together for the one from Houston. I just had not had time to post it. But I've had some people asking specifically for the one for Toronto so that they can make some purchasing decisions for the weekend. So I'm going to do everything within my power to get that done early and get it posted and online so that you guys can decide where you want to buy your seats for for the weekend because you've got two races to watch so I don't want you to make a bad decision. I am still lobbying for seats on the outside of turn three. Somehow, somebody <laughs> on the grassy knoll over there, GA, I don't care what it is, those would be incredibly awesome Well, I'll seats. give you the phone number for the Ontario government and you can try to dig your way through. They own that land. I told you that. We've had this argument every year. I know. I didn't say it was going to happen. I said that would be incredible viewing from that area. I don't disagree with you. 
But if you want to wade through the red tape that would be necessary to get access to be authorized to use that, then go to town, man. If you want your bucket list seating, though, the top row, as close as you can get to turn three, is where you want to be. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. From there, you can see them breaking into turn three. You can see them crashing each other. That's where you'll see uh, Will Power and Simon Pagenaud probably get into an accident this weekend. Uh-huh. At least one. At least one. Uh, going up the hill toward turn four, which is much more exaggerated in person than it ever looks like on TV. And you have to actually physically turn around in your seat to see that. Right. This is why you need the exact top row. Yep, yep, yep. And then all the way back toward turn five, I believe, if you... Just to go, Just yeah. a hair. So, great seating area there. It Absolutely is. Absolutely great. It probably should be a bucket list. That's why I, I said it was one of your yeah, bucket list seating. For, for most IndyCar fans, at least one time, you've got to try to sit there because yep. it's, it's just... A, it's more sort of iconic mm-hmm. than you might even realize until you get there. Yep. And it's just a beautiful place to sit. Never mind. You can see the, the lake and stuff from there. Ferris wheel off to the, uh, to yeah, the, to the right. You can see the CN Tower, I think, if you're right on the top of the grandstand there. It's it's very Toronto. It's very classic Toronto racing. That's Toronto. that group of seats. Um, we going to talk racing at all? We've talked racing lots. You've talked about GT, we talked about CD, and we've talked about Grand Sands and schedule. We haven't talked racing at all. Well, that's because you were using the box scores as a coaster. <laughs> all right. Paul's getting getting antsy because he wants to talk about his two trips out of his three weekends in a row as he goes to pour some more wine. Uh, why am I doing the play-by-play on this? Do you want to? You don't want people to know how much how you've just drained this bottle that we opened an hour hey, ago. You had a glass, thank you. Yeah, a glass. <laughs> I talked you off once. He's drinking like a hoser now that he's up here. I sat in traffic for two hours. <laughs> I won't even tell you about my work day before I sat in traffic. Oh, and the hour and a half of sleep that you got on the way down. That's right. I drove. I left Champagne last night at 8 o'clock. I uh, drove across the border at 3 o'clock this morning, right at 3 o'clock on the dot. Cheers to the kind uh, Canadian feller that I got to speak with. Uh, made it about another hour and a half into the drive. And did you go through Sarnia in the end? I did, yeah. yeah. I always go through Sarnia. Mm. Yeah. I always recommend it. I, uh, very, very pleasant folks there. I not have a very pre- root for Indy. Not a very exciting drive, to be quite honest with you. Yeah. Once you go from Sarnia to about London, it's... The four two is pretty boring. Yeah, there's one exit for a town that starts with an S that I cannot remember now. It is the only Tim Hortons, though, I can tell you that. <laughs> I can't think so, of where that would be. Uh, if, if I heard the name, I would know it. So- Sutherland? No, no. Oh. Nonetheless, there's one exit. There's a lot of exits, but there's one town between Sarnia and London, <laughs> and it is the only Tim Hortons that there is. So if you're looking for your Tim Bits and coffee, you got I love that all of you guys come looking for Tim Hortons when you get here. See, I, I, I have to admit, I don't get the obsession with Tim Hortons. No, I'm I a don't. Starbucks girl myself. I, I never go to Tim Hortons. I don't drink coffee. You know what? Yeah, you know, that's right. I'm a Diet Coke sort of guy. Which yeah. Oh, I don't have any Diet Coke for you in the morning. I'm sorry. You're going to have to go across the street to the I don't gas under- station. Oh, do they have it down there? There's a gas station there. Yeah, do they have Diet there. Coke, though? A fountain we Diet do Coke. sell Diet Coke in this country, yes. Coke you might have to buy it in a bottle. But you don't have the fountain drinks. I know that they have Slurpees, like like Icy's, but I don't think they've got fountain drinks at that one. We can get you a two liter. It's not the same. <laughs> we can get you a two liter and pour it into a cup. Which the cup, I, you have to understand, I bring the cup from the United States because you just can't find them here. That's funny. This is totally not related to racing, but this is a funny story because 
I, I shouldn't even be telling this story, but what the hell, we've had some wine. So, um... Oh, wait, I thought I drank the No, but... <laughs> just church for a minute. So, um... One. one. of the... <laughs> one of the trips that I took in, in earlier this month was to test out the new Hyundai Sonata. Good car. Um... Yeah, Nissan Altima. I'm not going there on this podcast, <laughs> but, um... So one of the things that we did on that trip was visit the Hyundai Tech Center in Ann Arbor. And yeah, there's a Hyundai Tech Center and you're sitting there wondering, why are they dragging us to central Michigan to try a Sonata? There's also the University of Michigan, which you as a Canadian would not understand the rivalries between colleges. Oh, I understand. But the University of Michigan is kind of... Yeah, (laughs) I've heard things. It's kind of scraping the bottom of the barrel. Mostly from you. Ann Arbor was lovely, the first that I saw. Anyway. There's a saying about Ann Arbor that isn't very pleasant. Yeah. <laughs> Ann Arbor is a uh, unappropriate term for a non-rated podcast. <laughs> okay. Anyway. Um, so we went to the Hyundai Tech Center, and one of the things that we saw was how they have to adapt their interior design for the different regions that they sell the car in, right? Because Hyundai, obviously, is a Korean company. And when they import a car like, say, a Sonata to America, they have to make certain adjustments for consumer expectations. And so we were walking through this building, and on a shelf, there's a whole bunch of of cups sitting there, and one of them was your big gulp. This, like, the size of a football. (laughs) With the bottom tapered to fit into a standard cup holder. And I thought of you instantly. And they were like, yeah, we have to... Rebuild our cup holders because South Koreans don't understand. No, they don't have Diet Coke in South Korea. When we adopted Olivia, I found that out the hard way. Oh, I yeah. would have appreciated it. Somebody would have given me a heads up before I went through seven days of Diet Coke withdrawal. I love Olivia to pieces, but I don't know if I'd go back without a Diet Coke over there. Just take some with you. Yeah. Well, I'm sure that'll be both well through customs. I'm sure it would be fine. Anyway, so I thought of you. Because it was the biggest, like the biggest big cult that you can physically no, the, buy and fit into the a The double gulps it. don't fit in. you got to get the mega gulp or something. The 44-ouncer. <laughs> but the gulps come in plastic cups with sweat and then water down your Diet Coke. That's why you need the foam cup. That's very wasteful. You planet hater. <laughs> Could be the liberal. <laughs> anyway, that was quite the diversion. Where were we? <laughs> no, no. Um, oh, here comes the racers. Yeah. So <laughs> this is the worst meandering of all time. Do you want to talk about racing? Racing Pocono. Okay. Let's talk about Pocono. Let's let this truck go by. All right. Two two trucks actually. All right. Pocono. Let me give you my general yeah. impression. Because you were at Pocono. I was. And I was. And Pocono was one of those tracks that, um, and you know, Steph, that that when you when you grow up liking racing, there are certain memories you have. Mm-hmm. And in my very formative years, I can remember back when I was eight nine years old. Pocono was one of those big IndyCar tracks. It was an IndyCar track, and then it disappeared uh, very, very suddenly, very sadly. So it's always been one of those tracks that's held this mystique to me that I've always wanted to go to. So I was glad I got to go to it this year. Did it hold up to the expectations? It did. It actually really did. It is absolutely, and I hate to use this term because it, it, it gets such a derogatory sense, it is a gorgeous facility. <laughs> uh, the drive there 
driving from from the Midwest to to Eastern Pennsylvania, whether you drive it on I eighty as you would to uh, Pocono, or whether you take the uh, Pennsylvania Turnpike, it's absolutely gorgeous drive. Just beautiful drive. Is it hilly? Like very, yeah, very, very. As you as you get. Uh, I'm more familiar with the Turnpike, I-76, but as you get east of Pittsburgh, towards Shanksville, and you kind of get into the mountains, it's just absolutely gorgeous. Mm. Gorgeous drive. Uh, and I can remember both mornings driving to Pocono, I felt like I was going out for a day of fishing on the lake. It had very much of a state park sort of feel. And it was very much one of those feelings of, how in the world did a two and a half mile triangular oval end up here? Yeah. I mean, it is it is out in the middle of nowhere. I mean, there is nothing near it. There's a, a few very small villages nearby. Uh, there's a town maybe uh, uh, three to four miles north of the track on uh, on the other side of I-80. Is it kind of nestled in the hills, or how is is it uh, on the edge of the hills? It is, I would say it's on the eastern edge of the mountains. Okay. Uh, as you you're starting to get closer toward Philadelphia, and you, know, you go a little further, another hour, so you start to get into the the New York metro area, the very outer fringes of it. Yeah. Uh, but it very much has a uh, for folks that have been to Michigan. It's not dissimilar from that setting. Very I drove by Michigan on that same day when I was testing the Sonoma. Yeah, we're talking about Pokemon. They didn't let us drive it <laughs> on the track. Anyway, sorry. But, but very much that uh, rural state park sort of feel. And uh, just a, a, a wonderful... And you can see where it would work, could work well for a July 4th because it has a sort of rural destination sort of feel to it. But at the same time, you're so far from New York and, and Philadelphia that it's hard to draw the corporations there. Yeah. Uh, but well, and it doesn't have the facilities to do that. Like it doesn't have very modern suites. No, it doesn't. Does it? And it, that was one of the things that I, I I told several people that you as you drive up to it, it looks like Churchill Downs mated with the county fairgrounds. <laughs> <laughs> you, you, you see the, the twin spires there, which is very reminiscent of, of Churchill Downs, and it's all, they they, they, they kind of like to um, boast their horse racing tradition, uh, as they called the cars to the grid. They use the, uh, the, the the bugle, the fanfare, really? as, you would, as you call it, horses to post at a horse race. Uh, so you see those in the distance, but then the aluminum siding just—it feels like you're at a county fairground sprint car race uh, yeah. in a way. Um, so you have that there. The, the the facility itself is gigantic. Gigantic. Compare it to IMS. Um, IMS, when you're there, you feel surrounded by it. Yeah. Uh, as you stand in the infield, you have you have the massive front straight, you have the pagoda, the pylon, but you're aware of what's Not behind. Not pylon anymore. Pylon's back now, though. Oh, right. Yeah. Uh, but you're aware that you know there's stuff in turn two. You can feel turn three sort of behind you. Mm. When you're at Pocono and you stand interior on the track, all that's there is what's on the front straight. There's nothing at turn one. There's nothing at turn two. There's mm. nothing at turn three. It's kind of a no man's land. It really is. Yeah. Really. Yeah. No grandstands or no, anything. No, nothing. Really. All, the only grandstands are there along the front straight. I did not know that. Yeah. So once I guess I should have because I've watched enough races right. from there, but I never thought about it. But uh, I, I had the chance to take a pace car ride with uh, with uh, Scott Jasek from from uh, Indy Racing Experience, 
so it's very cool to see. But once you get past those grandstands, it's a very isolated feeling, huh. very lonely. And uh, so you go through turn one, and turn one is so long. It just keeps going and going and going and going. And it, I've heard the driver say, and I understood when I drove when I was uh, in the pace car, you feel like you're driving down the hill as you go into it. It's really cool. And then turn two, I had, a, I had a long conversation with Ed Carpenter the day before, and he said that if I feel turn two, my car is really bad. And as I, as I thought about it, you know, it's modeled as IMS, and you know, you should be able to feel it. Um, what he meant by it when I went through it is it's very short. It's very abrupt. Mm. It's a sharp turn. It's 81, 82 degrees of turn, not quite 90 degree turn. Mm. But it's very abrupt. The radius is very short, so there's not a whole lot of room there. And then the, the, the straight between turn two and three that runs along Long Pond Road is very short, setting up to turn three, which I can remember back in the day it was called Dead Man's Curve because it's very, very flat and very long. And you come out of turn three, and all you see is this wide open, it looks like a parking lot. Mm. You can't even see turn one. You want to talk about IMS. It, it, it's a longer front straight than IMS by a couple hundred yards or a couple hundred feet, I think. I want to say IMS is in the 30... 400 foot range, and I think Poconos 37, 3800, mm-hmm. and it's so wide. I think I saw this 90 feet wide. Mm-hmm. So I mean, it's just a totally different feeling than IMS. Um, but the facilities themselves, they're dated. They're, um, I guess you could say, kindly. They are charming. <laughs> sort of a club track feel? Uh, a little bit. Yeah. But for instance, uh, the photographer's meeting, and I know we don't usually talk about the media amenities, if you will, but the photographer's meeting both days was held in what's called the Wives and Girlfriends Lounge. Yeah, you mentioned that at the time. And I thought I, I, my back bristled a little bit at that. I was like, you're not going to put me in there, are you? Which was uh, decorated in uh, very floral, very uh, antique sort of... Uh, Accoutrements. Uh, I would say it was like what my grandparents' oh, house might have looked at. With a, yes, uh-huh. nice. yes, very much so. That's uh, awesome. So it just it just had a bit of a dated feel, but it didn't feel antiquated. It felt like the, the track uh, the track improvements that they did a number of years ago, two, three, four years ago, really made it feel like a, a fairly modern track. But it is a it's not Texas, and it's not um, it's not California. It's not one of the new ISC mega yeah. tracks. Yeah. Uh, it has its own charm of a of a course that was built in the early seventies. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I completely lost my question. I had a question. What was my question? I forget. Hmm. Um, seating. Oh yeah, crowd. Crowd. Yes. Yeah. Was it as bad as it looked? You know, it, crowds are so hard to tell. Um, the official I saw off of Wikipedia, which I take that good enough, uh, official seating capacity is about 76,000 because that front grandstand is huge. Mm. Huge. Uh, I watched the first half and then change of the race from turn two. Uh, so I had a, a, a very good panoramic view. By the way, that last bottle of wine was very nice. Thank you for bringing it. Yes, absolutely. Yes. And now we're into the wine that, that you bought because you enjoyed it at the wedding. Uh, uh, yes, this led to good times at the wedding. <laughs> uh, courtesy of Cave Spring Cellars, uh, by the way, out of uh, uh, Jordan. Jordan, Ontario. Very, very. We're having very, the. Uh, this podcast is brought to you by the 2011 Cabernet Merlot from Cave Spring. 
There you go. Yes, but the first part of the podcast was a 2008 Cabernet Franc, I believe. Yes, it was. Estate bottled. Estate bottled. Yes. Very good. Yes. Um, okay, back to the crowd. Right. I would say it was probably a quarter to a third is what I said at the time. Mm-hmm. I would stand by that. Uh, I think if somebody told me they had 25000 I wouldn't disagree with it. Mm-hmm. I think between what they had in the grandstand, I couldn't see who were in the suites. Uh, there were a number of people on the inside camping, so... You know, if Brandon Dagdowski came out and said they had 25 to 30, well, I wouldn't disagree. But let's let this tuner go by. So, but the more important question is, would Brandon Dagdowski be happy with that? Did he ever say at any point in the weekend? You know, that he was Brandon Dagdowski was very elusive during the weekend. I saw him one time Sunday morning, about uh, five hours before the race, on the golf cart outside the the media center. And that was it. Now, typically, the promoters and the track owners do a very good job of coming and making themselves available to the media. Uh, in this case, he was very, very distant, mm-hmm. uh, very hands-off, which I took to become somewhat concerning. Mm-hmm. You know, usually, they're uh, they're engaging. He had done the. Interview. That being said, having not done this race, any of us in the past, it's hard for us to know whether that's part of the course. True. What is par for the course while on the race weekend is hard to say, but Brandon has been very good at supporting IndyCar in other locations. Uh, I know he was at St. Pete earlier this year. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's been to a number of other IndyCar events as well. So, you know, for, And he's been out front of those events, and he's talked to media at those events. So why he would hide from the media at his own event is a little bit of a mystery. But mm-hmm. I don't think the crowd was as dire as it was sort of led to be in the days leading up to that event. Mm. All right, well, let's talk about the race itself. And I think we're fair in starting that conversation with Will Power. I tell you, I, I don't know I don't know what Townsend Bell and Paul Tracy have against Will Power or uh, but, but for them to <laughs> for them to call that penalty and make that penalty against uh, Will Power. <laughs> I don't get it. That was I, one of I, your I, best I, facetious moments of I, all I time. Play the dead pit. That was awesome. I, I, mean, I, I don't no, know. Paul Tracy's tweet after the race was perfect because he, he just said, "How did I get blamed for that?" Basically. <laughs> yeah. No, I thought. I think he moved like three times. Power, didn't he? Well, hell, he took him all the way down to the yeah. wall. Almost. I don't know how. It doesn't get much more blatant than that. I don't, know, I don't know how you argue that. It, no. You know, between that explanation and Elio's, uh, you know, trying to pawn the Houston accident off on Sebastian Sebastian, or, uh, Sebastian Bourdais completely, and, and those are both just how is yeah. how how do you you know I'll tell you I spoke to Will Power. Um, hold on, more tuners. It's a little rampant downtown. Everybody's frustrated because of the traffic. Um, I spoke to Will Power, it just so happens, yesterday, because I had to do a last-minute story for the Star, which will run in Saturday's edition. I'll do my best to get that out to you in whatever way I can. The problem with these stories is that lately they have a tendency not to go off on, this, on the paper's website right away. So if I have to take a picture of it and send it to you guys, I will. Um, but there was some interesting stuff in there, and there was some even more interesting stuff that I couldn't really fit into the paper. But... Um, one of the things that he said was that he had rewatched 
the, the footage of the block and he basically had no choice but to cop to it. So, I mean, yeah. it's one of those moments where you get out of the car and you're, you're you know, feeling self-righteous and hot-headed and yeah. say stuff that you regret later, I think, is one of is what he, that was. He had changed his tune pretty well by Iowa. He's, yeah. I think when he saw the replay, uh, I forget who even, was it Kevin Lee that interviewed him or Yambi, because I forget now at Pocono. When he saw the replay, he was kind of speechless. Yeah, uh, yeah, okay. Uh, okay. Yeah, that was kind of hard to defend. Mm-hmm. So I think he, he realizes he screwed up. And How many is that? Is that five penalties now? How many points has he lost now this year? You know, I should have added that up for the story because it would have been interesting. And I didn't, I, I was, it was such a rush deal that I didn't get a chance to. But let me, let me try to think through everything I wrote about here. So this is interesting, actually, because St. Pete, Will told me in the interview yesterday, and I'm sorry we can't get you audio, but it exists if you need me to prove it, that um, IndyCar had actually checked his, they pulled his data for that restart where people were accusing him of having checked up, and then was it Andretti and Hawksworth got into Uh each other in the back? And they told him that his data was perfect, that he had done exactly what they asked him to do. And it was just that it was the first one of the, the new single file, but really bunched up restarts, mm-hmm. and, and not everybody was used to the procedure yet. But he was informed by IndyCar that he had done nothing wrong, and he was of the opinion that he had done nothing wrong. And so he is quite satisfied in the fact that he didn't get a penalty, and he shouldn't have. So, what'd you get? Cork? Bug? Oh, well. <laughs> you don't want to know. Extra protein. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> um, now, Long Beach is a different story. And this is funny because Power said that he was, and he said this at the time, but he elaborated on it yesterday, that he was of the opinion that he should have been penalized at Long Beach because they told him, they told all the drivers in the winter meeting that they were going to just let them race. But he said, if my front tire gets into Pagano's rear tire and it takes and it, and it you know ruins Pagano's race then I should get a penalty that's I mean and that's very much Australian racing rules that I mean V8 supercars I don't know if they still do it but they had a rule for a long time where if the front quarter of one car got into the back quarter of another car the the, the rear car would always get a penalty that that was just but and that logic continues into into some more of Will's explanations. To, to IndyCar's credit, I think they've been fairly consistent this year that side-to-side contact, I don't recall side-to-side contact that has been penalized this year. Yeah, here's the, but here's the next one. But from Detroit, the rear... Detroit race two. Power goes bonsai in on, on Newgarden, remember? He pulls the penalty. And what Power told me was, you guys have, you guys uh, all have to all, promise me that you're going to go and read the story now because I'm giving away all the good stuff and I, and I need the to corner, take it. He did cut the corner to side to side. But in how what Power told me was that um, he was not only alongside New Garden when he was at the curb, he was ahead of him. And so, using that same V8 Supercars logic, if he's go, if he's ahead, then it's his corner. And he said that the IndyCar officials have told him that that's their that, that that that's their judgment as well. And so he said that he didn't think he should have copped a penalty for that one, 
but he wasn't too upset about it because he thought he should have had a penalty at Long Beach and so he kind of said, all right, fair enough. <laughs> yeah, that's pretty I, No, I still, I thought you were on my side. I still think that that, that was totally fair. They, they should not have called him. I said, yes, I said they should not have called him because it was it was side-to-side kind There was nothing wrong with what he did. He saw an opening, he went for it. Joseph Newgarden, I mean, I'm sorry, Joseph, if you're listening to this, I'm not meaning to slag on you, but a race car driver's job is to know what's going on around him on both sides. So, you know, I've got somebody coming at me on the left. There's no excuse for it. I'm not looking on my right. Joseph's hugging the corner, though. I don't know. I don't remember. He wasn't hogging it that much. Power was on the curb. I thought he was over the curb. Not that much. Not four wheels. Fair enough. Fair enough. Yeah. No, I I didn't. I mean, this story is still on the site. I don't think Power did anything wrong in that instance, but, you know. Made up for another lost opportunities. Exactly. It It all evens out in the end. So that's three incidents, one penalty out of those that we've talked about so far. So he also had two pit speed infractions, mm-hmm. one hitting pit equipment, and the blocking call. So that's five penalties altogether, seven incidents out of the, 12 races. The penalty at Pocono, let's say he would have finished no worse than third. So I think he, would, he was running strong, he mm-hmm. would have finished third. Third in a normal race, I think, is 35, so we'll call it 70. Mm-hmm. Uh, he ended up... Isn't that 30? Yeah, it's right there in front of you. Check your coaster. <laughs> Go up for a little bit. Give me a second. <laughs> it's a little dark out here. I don't have a light and it's... Uh, All right, uh, no, the dusk no. has settled nicely. Third, third took 70 points. Well, you do all our stats and I just type them a lot, so I don't... I, I, have, I should have not questioned you. I'm sorry a good rule to live by in general. But, but I would like to point out that it takes a lot more time to plug the stats into the event summary page than it does to put them into the Excel document in the first place. Just because I make it look easy doesn't mean it always <laughs> is easy. All right, Monsieur Power took home 41 points from Pocono, while uh, Mr. Munoz in third place took home 70. So there's 30 points minimum. Did Will lead the most laps? What's that one point for? Oh, for leading laps. Leading a lap, yes. Yeah. So, 30 points minimum, 60 points if he would have won. Right. That's a, that's, that's a whole race almost. Yeah, that's a chance. That's a... That's fifth place in a race. 30, 30 points is fifth place in a race. Yeah. And that's just one race that he's shot himself in the foot. Mm-hmm. That he did it in Indy. Well, we've got a really bizarre end of season this year, don't we? Because we've got only... It's amazing to sit here. We're halfway through July. We've only got five races left. A lot of points still left, though. There are, but that's the thing, is that, so you know... Only five races. Five races left. Cause, and, five and races or five events? Five races. So, and that's what's bizarre, is that we've got the doubleheader this weekend. No, six. Five. Two races this weekend. Yeah. Milwaukee, Mid-Ohio, Milwaukee, Sonoma. I'm sorry, six. You hate ovals. Why? <laughs> Why do you hate ovals? <laughs> Shit, my, there's an error in my <laughs> star story. How did I miss Milwaukee? Because I always think of it as being in June. I forgot about Milwaukee. I bet you did. Aww. But you remembered the double and the twisty, though, didn't you? I remembered, but you remembered I remembered Mid-Ohio, Fontana. Didn't you? But you remembered Sonoma. I remembered Fontana. 
I remembered Sonoma. I'm going to Sonoma. Are you really? Yes. I'm already booked in with my my uh, hotel bash. Cheers. Yeah. So that'll be good. Yes, we do have another uh, another <laughs> short level to go to. Paul is huffing the cork on the wine as though at this point, with it being open for an hour, it makes a difference. <laughs> anyway, yes, I know. I can't believe I forgot Milwaukee. Oh God. That is good. Special motorbikes, so they have blue LED headlights. They're having fun. Oh, yeah. So, um, all right. So, six events left. And it's, a, but I mean, Milwaukee actually only adds to that argument because we've got the, the two races this weekend. And as we've seen in the past several times, if you have a good weekend and a doubleheader weekend, that's a whole lot of points that you can, that you can gather at one time. And then in Ohio, which in recent years has been a Scott Dixon stronghold. It'll be interesting recent, to see. Like the last decade. Yeah, so it'll be interesting to see if that continues, given that he's not having nearly as strong a season as, as typical for him. And then Milwaukee, short oval. Which you got to figure that's a Ryan Hunter race sort of track. Yeah, and it's going to be different conditions, though, because it'll be a lot hotter in Milwaukee in August than it will have been in early June. And then Sonoma, which is Sonoma, and then Fontana. So we've got six races left, and we're sitting here halfway through July. Crazy. And two of those events we've got this weekend in Fontana are 100 points each. So it's, uh, teams are sitting there with their calculators right now. No doubt. Yeah, having a 100-point event for the last one of the season really throws things into... And Power brought that up when I talked to him yesterday. He Is said, it? like, it's gone down to the last race every year, but that pretty well even solidifies it because there's no way, with this the way this series has gone this year, that, that anybody's going to go into that race with a 100-point lead. And things can go so wrong so quickly on an oval, too. I mean, what if... Uh... Well, 2012 kind of proves that. Well, sure, but I mean... That was a really at... interesting discussion that I had with him, too. Because he talked in great detail about what went wrong in that race. And I, I hadn't heard it necessarily before. That doesn't mean it wasn't out there before. But he talked all about how um, his left rear wheel got caught in a seam. Mm-hmm. And that's what caught him out. And he said, I wish that had happened in practice. It happened to TK in practice. And if, I, if it had happened to me in practice, then I would have known to stay away from it for the race. But I didn't. Did he, at the time, explain why he was racing so hard with Ryan Hunter Ray for, like, 16th place? When all he needed to do was finish within five places of him to win Because he's a race car driver. Yeah. He's also a race car driver that still doesn't have a championship to his name. Yeah, well, you know what? Of course, neither do I. I know that's what's coming out of your mouth. Nonetheless, those who don't... Coach and <laughs> no, because I didn't want to get too far into that with Will because he um, <laughs> did he have a little tear running under that? Well, he he didn't like being accused of being a choker. I don't know why anyone would accuse him of that. <laughs> There's a lot of people that would be satisfied with three second place finishes in a row. No, <laughs> name one. The guy that had three, four questions? I don't know. Anyway, 
We're being ridiculous and we're, we're wasting time. So anyway, yes, but going into the last race, I mean, we've seen, um, you know, look what happened to, to Ryan Hunter Ray at Pocono. Had a had a, a a suspension problem very early in the race and finished either last or next to last. Or uh, let's find somewhere out. way down there. It's right here. No, it was 18th. 18th out of 21. Okay. Mm -hmm. 22. Uh, well, Hawks are going to start though. Right. So he finished. You know, that's a major, major point hit. When you look at the double headers for for the street races, you at least have Sunday to come back if you have a mechanical and you can salvage half a good weekend. How often does that happen though? How That's often has that happened? As long as we, as the double, like there have been five doubleheader weekends now. Um, I can't think of a single one where somebody has had a rough day on Saturday and then come back out of the gate on Sunday. You kind of think of a weekend as being sort of yeah, it's but it's all connected. But right? the like the Houston races though this year played out very differently Saturday to Sunday. Last year, I agree with you. I, I completely agree that, you know, when we look at Toronto last year, what happened? Scott Dixon ran away at both races. But, you know, you look at the podiums from this year on, on Saturday, you had uh, a lotion was second. Uh, let's see, Pagano. No, you got the wrong days. Okay. Saturday was Saturday at Houston was a Columbia day. That's right. Okay, so you had Cuertas. Um, yeah. Who's, well, by the way, there you go. He won on Saturday, finished last on Sunday. Yeah, but, he, well, okay. but that's not what you said. That's not you said. Have a bad day on Saturday right. okay, and then recover right. for Sunday. Right. Okay. Um, but yeah, Marquez, I mean, it was, it was Montoya, Munoz right. race Saturday, and then Sunday Sun was Pagano, Elotion. I don't remember who was it. Munoz again? No. No, I don't remember who was third. That's terrible. Yeah, four glasses ago, I don't know. <laughs> I don't have my smartphone. I can't look it up. Um, but anyhow, no, I can't think of a single instance where somebody's had a bad day on a Saturday and then had a gangbusters day on a Sunday with a doubleheader. I think if you roll off the truck bad in a doubleheader, ah, you people with your, with your silly cars. Um, well, they impress me. I, <laughs> I am impressed. I wasn't. I'm I, wanna, I so badly want to make jokes about sizes of... Stop. Anatomy right now. Um, <laughs> anyway, no, I, I can't think of it. I, you can't either. So let's let's move on from that. My point is that with the hundred points on an oval, things can go wrong very very quickly with no chance to make it up. Ryan Hunter Ray was running strong, had that strong Saturday, qualified fairly well, was running strong in that race, and had a suspension go bad. Marco Andretti at at, uh, at Texas. Mm -hmm. That wasn't a double points. No, it wasn't. But I'm just saying on Noble in general, they can have a you know he finished, had the, the engine blow in the third lap. Think uh, of Graham Brayhall in Indianapolis from the yeah. right off the bat. I mean, obviously he's had bad luck all year, but he had an engine issue very early on, and there's just no chance to recover those points on these double point ovals. So yeah. it is a finishing is a premium on these events. Finishing is a premium at every event. Yeah, but especially when you get double. Especially at the double points. Yeah. yeah, yeah. All right, so there are a couple more stories that we should probably cover before we move on from Pocono. How about that Juan Pablo Montoya? Anybody, I'm, you know, everybody kind of said they expected him to win a race. I didn't know that Pocono would be his first one. Whatever you do, don't go back and listen to the podcast before Pocono. <laughs> Whatever you do, don't go back and listen to that podcast. <laughs> Why? Because you were so very wrong? 
That may have been slightly off. <laughs> may have been slightly off. Um, you know, he does have a, he have a lot of experience there, but I mean, he just never did anything wrong all weekend. Mm. Drove, drove like a pro, and uh, you know, well, he is a pro. You know, he's raced in a few major series in his life. I'm just saying. Thanks. Yeah. You're welcome. That's what I'm here for. <laughs> Uh, it was so interesting listening to him, though, in this post-race interview, because he is so different from the Juan Montoya that left Kart in after right? 2000. I thought the same thing when he was on the podium he, in Houston. He's he relaxed, is, he's he happy, is he's so, having fun. The parallels between Juan Montoya and Dan Weldon are almost eerie. The guys that came in with a blaze of glory, they were young, they were fresh, they didn't give a damn what you thought about their actions on the track. They were there to win, and they didn't care what you thought. And then they kind of went through this part of their career where they somewhat struggled, and they came back, and they came back as a different driver, a much more mature driver. Mm. And, and you saw that in, in Montoya, and he talked about the Houston race. He said, you know what, I could have pushed. I could have pushed and probably gotten the win. I could have bumped him out of my way. But what does the aggression get me? It gains me five more points if I win, and I lose 30 points if I don't. Mm -hmm. It was such a different Juan Montoya than the 2000, uh, the, the 2000 Juan Montoya that left hard. It was just uh, amazing to see how mm -hmm. different his mental approach is. And, uh, it, it was just weird how how much he had changed, and he, you know, he comes now. He's got a lot more gray in his hair than he did. He's a little stockier than he used to be. You know, all of us, I, or I guess, a lot of us tend to uh, say we're a little stockier now than we were back in 2000, with a little more gray, a little less hair on top. But uh, no, but I just I love how he has showed up to race and yeah. to win this year. Like he is not taking anybody's guff. Nope. And he's been given the equipment, he's been given the, the infrastructure and the team skill that he needs to get it done, and he's getting it done. Which is such an interesting dynamic to Will Power, who for the last five years has taken that attitude, I'm going to be patient, I'm just going to lay back, I'm going to let the race come to me, I'm going to get the points, and it didn't work for him. And now he's going balls out all the time, and he wants to win, and he, doesn't, or he claims he doesn't care about points. Very you know, he had a different story when I talked to him yesterday. I bet he does. Yeah. I bet he does. Because he said, he, what he said to me was, um, he can't get away from the points at this stage in the season because you guys, the media, and, right. and everybody is always in your face reminding you of who your competitors are and where right. you stand. So you can't help but think of the points at this stage. You just have to kind of drive, a, like, just kind of put it out of your mind and drive around it. And not his, his whole thing was that he felt in 2010, 11, 12, he was too conservative, like too worried about conserving points in the late going, and that his his worry was that he didn't want to repeat that this year. That he wanted to to not sort of fall back into that conservative game and, and to be full out all the time because he thinks that that's how he's going to drive. Well, and we did see that last year after. Um, you but know, that was a different story because he was never in the points. Exactly. Year. Yeah, exactly. But once he realized he really wasn't in the points and he was had no reason to yeah. drive for points, 
you saw him turn it on. It was the willpower of old, and he won at Fontana, which it he wasn't won three the of the last five races. Yeah, I'm trying to think where else he won at Houston. He won at Fontana. He won at what was right before Fontana Sonoma? last year? One of the Houston races. He won Houston too. Yeah. He won Fontana. Did he win Sonoma? I think Sonoma was the other one. Yeah. And uh, he was very much back to his old willpower self. Yeah. Um, but this year, you know, it's like he's just, you know, what. One of the things I always loved talking about to Rick Mears several times, and he's told me this several times, when he was at his best, he, he always said, you didn't have to cross the line. You had to edge up to it until you found you couldn't go any further. Then you had to find out what the barrier was that was preventing you from going further. Then you had to figure out how to get past that. And that's the difference. Will goes way past the barrier, and the wall is what tells him he's gone past the barrier. Mm. How does he rein that in now? and step up to the barrier where he has to come to a halt before he gets himself in trouble and then incrementally find out how to go beyond that point. And I think that's what's at this point keeping him from being a championship driver. You know, I... Talking about Rick Mears, that's how I see uh, a Scott Dixon. Scott Dixon is very much like that. You don't see Scott make those major mistakes that cost championships. Except for Houston. Was it Houston? He did have the accident in Houston, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Every once in a while, Scott has that one moment where you you think, was that really Scott Dixon? Right. He had the accident in Houston. You know, he had the accident in Indianapolis, which is very uncharacteristic. Mm But, you know, looking back at that race, they were going for the win. And that's what you do at Indianapolis. Yeah. They just went too far with his car change. And I, I don't really put that on Scott, but he's very methodical. He's not someone who generally trashes cars. He had the accident at Houston. The last accident I can remember before Indy was either Texas or Milwaukee a year or two ago. Dario crashed the one and Scott crashed the other. I can't remember which order they went in. But it's just when you see a target car crash, you're you're, yeah. you're shocked because, yeah. because they always have such methodical, thoughtful drivers. And, and, and Will's not there yet. I don't think he's there yet. I think that's what separates well, a champion. Well, better get there soon because he's not—he's not exactly a spring chicken. No. And you're gonna wonder. And he's how not exactly driving for a second-tier team. No, and you have to wonder how long that leash really is. Mm-hmm. Because, and, and, and we have—I guess we're still talking about Pocono somehow here at the other. <laughs> well, um, I've still got the Pocono box on go. the top of my pile here. Uh, I just happened to catch the exchange on, at Pocono when, when Will got uh, slapped with his uh, drive-through penalty for the for the blocking. Mm-hmm. And uh, it, Will he was, said some bad words about it. He did say potty words that I would not have uh, <laughs> Mike Jackson to be listening to. And uh, you know, basically he said, "You know what? That's a uh, a very bad call. I worked my uh, tail, my, my rear end off yeah. to uh, to get that position." But he said in a somewhat more forceful voice. And and the tone that Tim Cinder came back to him was not a loving father tone. Mm-hmm. It was a very much, hey, you know what? You screwed up. Your attitude isn't helping the situation. Get your head on. Let's go. Mm-hmm. It was very much of a, uh, a very uh, not pleased, but let's, you got to pull your, get your head together. Yeah. And we got to focus. Because we're still 20 laps to go in this race, or 30 or 25, somewhere in that ballpark. Yeah. Um, so hearing that, I mean, you have to wonder 
he's thrown away three championships. Mm-hmm. I know. He going into not all of them. I would say were thrown away precisely. 2012 was clearly thrown away. 2012 was clearly thrown away. Yeah, the other ones I could say, you know. Any time a championship. Oh, 2009? Did, did he not go into Homestead in 2009? Uh, no, that was Briscoe. Briscoe yeah. No, the thing is, any time a championship goes down to the last race, you're looking at that last race in a microcosm, right? right. Yeah, sure. But right. there's, there's other moments in the season as well where potential was lost. Sure. So to, to look at that one incident in Fontana in 2012 and say, oh, he threw away the season, and, and, you know, there was other stuff that happened in that season. That was another season that was fraught with penalties and pit errors in particular. <laughs> and double birds. For and a, double birds. Braden Dukes. No, was that 2012? That was 11. 11. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yes, the angry birds live on. Okay, one more story we should talk about before we move on from Pocono. And I have a feeling we're going to be going really long tonight. I hope people have patience for us. I'm going to have to go down to the garage and get another bottle. <laughs> I, I stocked up on beer because, like I said, you're an American. And I thought you'd, you'd want beer. So I have beer if we run out of wine. Is that a stereotype? It might be. It's not very nice. Oh, well, you know. But you Canadians are nice. Nice to walk this out again. I, we talked about this earlier. I cannot believe the transformation since you met me. You used to be a beer guy, and I have t- I have taught you the ways of the wine. Don't look at me like that. You are so full of crap. It's not. No, it's true. <laughs> what are you talking about? I have brought you into the world of wine. It's true. It's absolutely true. Don't look at me like that. Anyway, let's let's talk about this stuff. So. Jack Hawksworth. Ouch. Yeah, what a crazy wreck that was. Hey. And you know, I was surprised because yeah, he it didn't the, look that bad. It really didn't look that bad. But I guess you and I have been a lot around racing long enough that you know sometimes the the hits that don't always look that bad tend to tend to uh, to, to impart the most damage, I mm-hmm. guess. And um, you know, I, I think back to Scott Brayton accident and. Uh, not totally dissimilar, I guess, from this accident. It was an accident that happened very high on the track. He hit very flush with the side of the car. Was that pre Hans? Uh, Scott, uh, Scott Ray? Right. Yes, oh, way yeah. before Hans. That was 96. Um, but again, one of those ones that it snapped very fast, uh, hit very flush with the side of the car. Uh, you would have thought he could have gotten away with that, but. Uh, you know, and Jack got out of the car. He was a little slow getting out, but he was released right away. Mm-hmm. Which I'm wondering if there's any sort of what's going on in IndyCar behind the scenes. Oh, I don't think that's fair. I think a, a bruised heart muscle is something that you wouldn't necessarily find right away. How do you look for that? I don't know. I'm not a medic. I'm not a doctor. But I've heard people talk and. Uh, We've all heard people talk. I'm, I'm trying to think of maybe. Tell you two, two bottles of two bottles ago. I might have been I think it was Jake Query who told me that uh, you know he talked to Jack shortly thereafterwards, and uh, after the accident, after he had been released and cleared, and uh, and, and Jack was kind of he was sitting down and kind of leaning on his knees, and he went to sit up straight a little bit, and Jake had noticed that he was in quite a bit of discomfort and, and grimacing. 
and, and Jake had the thought going through his head that, you know, that's a, a normal activity. We're, we're, we're a half hour, 40 minutes from your accident. You know, if you got the wind knocked out, you should be fairly recovered by now. Are you, are you sure you're really okay here? I mean, that's a, shouldn't be causing you pain and grimace. And then we went back to the hospital there shortly thereafter. And, uh, you, you know, from a historical standpoint, when I, when I hear things like that, when when a, a, a driver is released right away, I mean, quite honestly, if BHA had had a backup car, Oxworth could have been back out on track half hour later, 45 minutes later. He could have been back out for qualifying later on. You know, I think back to... 1974, 1975, when Mark Donahue was killed in, uh, I think it was at Belgium, and he had had an accident early that morning, had been uh, been released from the doctor, and started complaining about a headache later that afternoon, and uh, passed away later that night yeah. from a, 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 a situation that wasn't diagnosed. So, from an IndyCar standpoint, I think this is something they need to address. I, and I'm not saying that they should be held at fault here. I, I think it's, but I think it's something they need to look into. Why was you know, this situation overlooked, and he was released and cleared. He was released to drive again right away. He could have gotten right back in the car. Yeah. Uh, and but I don't, like I said, I don't know how, I don't even know how it was diagnosed after the fact. I don't, I don't know, know how you look for a bruise on your on the heart. I don't know. I don't know how badly it affects someone apart from physical pain. I can tell you two things. I can tell you that um, I heard from, I'm not going to give a name here because I don't want to get in trouble, but I heard from someone who has a great deal of connections within the motorsport industry that, that there were a number of people who were horrified that he was cleared to drive even for Iowa. Mm. Um, oh. Yeah. And I also had heard some, and, and I'll, I'll say that Jacob was the one who planted this idea in my head, my husband, and I think there might be something to it. The theory that maybe the belts were not done up properly, because if you've got any travel, on your body, and it's in a wreck like that. That's what's going to create the situation where your organs are, are traveling a little bit more, and you and mm. you might run into a, a situation where you're create where you're causing damage. And I'm not saying that to mean to it like it could totally not be that. And I don't mean to sound like I'm throwing the DHA guys under the bus, but it's it was an interesting thought to me because that's the the most realistic explanation for something going wrong that I've heard. Because like we've said, there was nothing else about the incident that seemed out of line. So. Yeah, I don't know. The belts is an interesting theory. Yeah. I mean, that makes me think right away of Dale Earnhardt. Yeah. You know, that, you know there was a, a lot of discussion then was did the installation of the belts have anything to do with it? I, I would have a hard time believing that, that Brian Hurd Autosport would would, uh, be negligent in that I don't regard. mean to imply that they're being negligent, but I mean, you're looking at speeds well in excess of 210. Yeah, they qualified at uh, you know, 223, so yeah, I'd say so. practice probably, he's probably running in the 215 to 218. Yeah, yeah. so I mean, there, there's not, it doesn't take much no. to have a problem with that speed, so wouldn't surprise me. But again, I have no proof. This is completely hearsay and theory, and um, you're looking at your watch because you're wondering if we have time to actually touch on Iowa, right? Again, we're a recorded podcast. People can tune out and tune in anytime they want. We prefer that they not tune out. Oh, I would prefer they not tune out. Yes. Oops. Oops. 
start that as a, as a Canadian podcast, eh? Mm. Eh? All right. Iowa. You were at that one, too. I love How Iowa. I love Iowa. Yeah, I, I love do. it, too. People got the impression that I have something against Iowa. You do, because you hate ovals. I don't hate, hate ovals. You do. You're such a cart fan. I, Why do you hate cart, you champ cart fanatic? Why? How much Why? wine have you had? I don't know. Not enough. <laughs> cart had ovals, too, you know. No, champ cart, whatever. Well, I, you know what? Champ car, in my opinion, we're not going to go down this road, really, are we? <laughs> the champ car, in my opinion, was not the ideal. What the balance in the schedule is now, maybe one or two ovals more, plus Road America and Cleveland. Bring back Cleveland. That's my ideal schedule. The early 90s cart schedule is my ideal schedule. I'll give you that. Yeah. I love 1996, 97, 98 cart. Oh, God. Don't get me started. But anyway. Um, um. Cheers. Oh, Paul, Paul just cheers the air. He's getting nostalgic now. Do I need to get you a, a like a tissue? <laughs> you know, it's funny. Everyone thinks I'm such an IRL lover. I hated the IRL for the first five years. Oh. I, did, I was such a cart fan. So few people know that. I didn't know that. I know. Yes, you did. <laughs> the truth comes out. No, I, I did kind of know that. Yeah. I wrote a paper in, in college about how much Tony George screwed up in, in the car race. Did you know that? No, I didn't. I did. My freshman year of college. Right 105 at the uh, University of Illinois. I wrote the paper in spring 1999. That's pretty awesome. I'm yeah. not a smoker, I swear. I don't know where this coffee's coming from. Um, All right, Iowa. Yes, I know. No, wait. Hold on. We're having an interesting discussion here. Oh, we are? Yeah, about the balance of the schedule. Because... Oh, right. Yeah, no, that's an interesting, you know, I think... Well, we're going to lose press dog if we don't hurry up and get to Iowa. So no, well, that, that's true. All right, let's go. Anyway, the, the short version of it is I love Iowa. Oh, someone's got a wimpy rice burner down there. Yeah, that, that might have been an e-bike. Um, <laughs> <laughs> even I made a face at that, and I'm the biggest tree hugger around. Yeah, um, you are. Yeah. So, Iowa, yes. I know nobody. I love Iowa. I, I love Milwaukee. I love the short ovals. I just have an issue with some of the some of the other tracks that aren't as successful. But my heart is breaking because Iowa used to be any weather, any time, any day, they would pack that place to the gills. And I, it's not happening anymore, and I don't know why. Why, I don't, Paul? I don't know. I don't know why either. But I know the forecast was dire all day. Yeah. The forecast was crap all day. Everyone kept saying, "Ah, it's gonna, it's gonna pour right at race time." We got to be a tornado. Tornado, yeah, exactly. Tornado. And uh, you know, we got to move the race time up for 20 minutes because it's gonna downpour so much. And um, well, and yeah, that doesn't, that doesn't in those help. terms, I guess the turnout was not bad. Yeah, you got to remember, Iowa isn't Iowa Speedway. Yeah. It's not exactly like Toronto down the street here. Right. You don't have a metropolitan area surrounding the track. Mm-hmm. Uh, Newton, I would guess, uh, Crest Dog, Crest, correct me if you're listening here, but uh, I would guess in the ten to 15,000 mm. range in that ballpark. Wouldn't surprise me if someone said they were 25, but I think they're in the, the call it 5 to 15 range. Not a large metropolitan area by any stretch of the imagination. Des Moines, I mean, it's a... It's a, a half-hour drive from the east side of Des Moines, from the near side of Des Moines. If I'm, you know, Tommy J. Des Moines homeowner, and all I hear all day long is that it's going to rain tonight, you know, we're going to move off the race, 
Am I going to go drop $60 to go watch one race at 7 o'clock on... And that brings up another issue, is where do they get off charging $60 for one race when you can pay $60 for a ticket here in Toronto and see six different series? Why do you keep picking crap out of your mouth? What did you do to my glass? Nothing. What is that? Are you attracting flies? I hope not. Anyway, where do they get off charging $60 for one race? I don't know. When here you can pay $60 for a day and see six races. Yeah, I agree. And I think. And that's the fundamental flaw, I think, in oval track. Oval track, yeah. Racing planning right now in IndyCar. Yeah, I, 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 I am not disagreeing with you by any stretch of the imagination. Um, you know, as we said here, and you can recite them off better than me, but we got IndyCar, we got that one series that's got like hold on, uh, okay, paragraph long list, name. If we're gonna list them off, let me do it. Hold so, on, wait, oh, hold on, hold on, hold on. We got IndyCar, we got the one with the really, really, really long yeah, name. Yeah, but don't even do that. Do we it got that the way. You got sixteen hundred. Do the do the road to Indy first. So we've got IndyCar, Indy Lights, no Pro Mazda. We skip that. Which sucks because Pro Mazda has more Canadians than any other road to Indy series this year. But anyway, so no Pro Mazda. USF 2000, that three right there. Three. And then we've got Porsche GT3. Say the whole name. Ultra 94. Uh, What's Ultra 94? It's a type of fuel sold by Petro Canada. Ultra 94 Porsche GT3 Cup Challenge Canada presented by Michelin. Yeah. That's going to be the whole program, folks. Don't buy the program. <laughs> Ten bucks, you'll just get the name of the series. Um, the Toyo Tires F1600 series. Good job. Like name that. of the title sponsor. Well done. And I do a little bit of work with that series. You may want to follow them at Toyo Tires F1600, by the way. You might hear a familiar voice on that Twitter account. Oh, this very weekend. nice. Yeah. Um, oh, what, 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 who? <laughs> You're real slow when you get a couple of glasses of wine into you. I already have to take over for you during while you're out gallivanting around with Mr. I've been here 28 years. Yeah, yeah, well, that's another thing. So, uh, Porsche's, the Porsche's the S1600s, an Acura Sports Car Challenge. Which is Robbie Golden structure? Yes. Yes. This is a sub the, the Acura Sports Car Challenge is a subdivision of Pirelli World Challenge. All right, so that's seven. And then the Stadium Super Trucks is seven. I think that's it. That's it, quote unquote. I'd pay fifteen bucks alone just to go see the trucks. Yeah, right. They're good fun. They are good fun. All right, yeah. so they, all right, there you go. You got seven series running this weekend. Yeah. Literally, and I remember this from last year. It was nonstop from ridiculous time in the morning to way too late in the evening. Eight a.m. till seven p.m. Yeah. Pretty much every day yeah. they run track, and it doesn't stop. IndyCar at Iowa had IndyCar at Iowa at seven. 30, I think, was the actual green flag. They were supposed to run seven. I don't understand how they and didn't have a 60, single support series. It was like $60. Like, Indy Lights used to race at Iowa. Didn't they used to, they used to. Pippa guys went to, Pippa Mann won at uh, Iowa, didn't she? Oh, no, she ended she up ended on up a at man. Iowa. Yeah, yeah, that's a bit different. Sorry, Pip. <laughs> bit of a bad memory there. Hi, Rice Burners. Yeah. Um, <laughs> you're waving to the rice, the rice Rockets now? The Rice Rockets? Yeah. Nice. What do you call them? Crotch Rockets. Okay. Maverick just drove by. Yeah, anyway. Uh, yeah, I, 60 I, bucks. Can, I can understand not putting US 50,000 and Pro Mazda on track at Iowa. I don't understand not bringing the Indy Lights. Indy Lights would be there. The USAC Silver Crown. All they eight did of them, that one year, didn't they? All eight of them would be great there. And I saw somebody complaining this year. Uh, somebody might have commented on one of our posts, but I thought it was a really good point. That they had sponsored a family 
to go to this race. Yes. Did you see uh-huh. that? Too? Yeah, I did see that. Yes. Um, yeah. Somebody based in Kansas. I'm, I apologize for not remembering your name, but somebody based in Kansas who sponsored a family to go from his local area to Iowa for the race didn't send that family this year because of the stricter NASCAR rules in the paddock. Because NASCAR is very, very um, enclosed in their paddock. They don't let fans. They, when they when they were at Mosport last year, the trucks had a like a forty minute session, I think, where they thought, "Hey, this is kind of a cool idea. Some of the other paddocks let fans in. Maybe we'll let them in for like forty minutes." Um, and and James. Yeah, right. yeah. I see that you put your phone in front of me, and James. Point out that James no, is our friend from Nebraska. James from Nebraska, who's not even from Kansas. So, um, anyway. Back to my story about most. No, I'll read it. No, no, no. All right, you you obviously it. don't appreciate fault. my help here. No, I do. I'm just trying to tell the story about Mosport. About how the fans were allowed into the paddock there. And it was like this big, big deal for them because they didn't really allow it before. And so James from Nebraska wrote to us and said. Go ahead. Well, give it to me now. I'll read it. Oh, there you go. Oh, my lord. Um. <laughs> Yeah, but remember, though, NASCAR... Are you going to let me read it? Well, not until I finish my poem. no. <laughs> go. When you go to a NASCAR race, the, gar- the cars are going live through the garage area. So that's what they know. Yeah. It's, that's a very different... It doesn't make it right. It's not made it right. I'm saying it's made it NASCAR-ish. Right. So let's read this comment, because this really spells out to me the whole difference between... The James old, from NASCAR, the you're up. old Iowa culture versus the new that Iowa was owned culture. locally. Yes, before it was owned by NASCAR. Right. So James from Nebraska said to us on our first impression post after the Iowa Indy, the Iowa Corn Indy 300. Excuse me. For years, presented I have, by Pine. Yes, DeKalb. DeKalb. <laughs> nice try. <clears throat> For years, I have paid ticket and hotel costs to sponsor a family from Kansas to attend the race weekend, and this year we could not get into the pits and garages on Friday when the Indy cars were on the move. That's the part of the charm of Iowa. It's up close and personal. Because of NASCAR rules, you could only do the fan walk Friday, and you had to pay $30 more for Saturday to go behind the scenes of what? No activity, just to look at parked cars. Really? They messed up bad. Don't fix this, and the... Up front, in your face, IndyCar Iowa experience is over. I don't sponsor folks to drive eight hours to look at parked cars and look at cars through a fence. Big mistake for Iowa to jam IndyCar under NASCAR rules totally killed the true Iowa IndyCar fan experience. Yeah. I think it's fair enough. I agree. Yeah. And I think that to ignore that is a big mistake. I, I don't but how much how much say does IndyCar really... Do you know what? I'm going to put my tinfoil hat on for a second. Okay? Oh, there's a shocker. Yeah. No, seriously, though. Think about this. Well, I know. Seriously. No, think about this, though. The last couple of races at Chicagoland, mm-hmm. who did IndyCar race with? The trucks. The last couple of races at Kansas, who did IndyCar race with? You following uh-huh. me here? Uh-huh. Uh-huh. It has a tendency. Well, they had the lights at Chicago, too. That's not my point. My point is that it's interesting if you start to, you might be able, and I haven't studied this, so don't quote me on it, but you might be able to draw a line between when IndyCar starts sharing weekends with the trucks 
and when those tracks sort of suddenly start to disappear because they don't have the attendance that they used to. They have had the trucks at Texas since at least 2008, uh, 2009. Yeah, and attendance has been coming down at Texas too. I agree. At least 2009. They may have had them before, I don't know. There are a couple of problems, I think, with IndyCar sharing weekends with the trucks. One of them is that, Indy, that NASCAR will not give IndyCar anything better than the trucks. You'll never see them share a weekend with Nationwide or, heaven forbid, the Sprint Car, the Sprint Cup Series, because NASCAR doesn't want to give the impression that IndyCar is worthy of those series. And they're very, very conscious in what they're doing there. And the other thing is this, this discussion about how much it changes the paddock experience and, and you know, you've got the trucks on Friday night, the, not, the IndyCars on Saturday night. How, in a track that's owned by NASCAR slash ISC, how much, which one is the, is the headline there? And who's got the most marketing presence in the market? Right? If there was a place where IndyCar was going, and I agree, they'll never get IndyCar going again with the Sprint Cup Series. That's never, no, ever going No, never. And people who like to talk about it should just stop dreaming because, yeah. Yeah, yeah that's, it, it's not going to happen. Um, but if IndyCar was ever going to go with the Nationwide Series, Iowa, or um, Iowa, what about I would never pair up no. IndyCar with Nationwide at an oval course. No, it would be at, at Chicago. I'll tell you that right now. Because the Chicago right now has... I still don't think it's ever going to happen. I don't I think, think so either. I think that, I don't that think NASCAR does not want to put IndyCar on the same plane I'm not disagreeing as with their second-tier series. Unfortunately, either. I'm totally agreeing with you. I'm saying if, if it were ever to happen, it would be at Chicago. Because they have a single NASCAR, uh, Sprint Cup weekend. But they have a second uh, nationwide weekend that draws about as poorly as IndyCar did the final years it was there. If they draw, I still, I, I, I would not be surprised. And again, my tinfoil hat is on, and this is not anything that I've heard officially. But I would not be surprised to find out that internally NASCAR has some kind of rule that they're not allowed to share a weekend or be anything less than the headliner, the very clear headliner on a weekend for anything. Even for Sprint Cup and Nationwide. Even for Nationwide? Yeah, I would, I would absolutely believe that. And the thing is... I know where you're going with this. And I'll just let you go there because I know you're thinking about Road America. And I know that's I'm not thinking about you, Road America at you all. You are too. No, you, I'm not. You are. I'm not. I mean, I'll, with this. everybody's always thinking of Road America because huh? everybody wants to see any cars at Road America again. But that's not where I'm going with this at all. No, I, I just think... I just think that IndyCar needs to, I, I think that, alright, let's be more blunt, I think IndyCar has never asked the hard questions about why it's so easy for them to get truck weekends and nothing else. And I think that they would be better off getting stable weekends and doing some solid marketing for those weekends on their own than they would be trying to share with the trucks because yeah. it dilutes their own experience. I, I disagree with you. Uh, the fact that, that they won't go on an oval. I think if they were ever going to run nationwide, they would run with them at an oval. They wouldn't be the, the headliner. Uh, it'd be a co-headliner. No, they wouldn't. It'd be like, you know, I guarantee you. and corn I guarantee together or something like that. I guarantee you they wouldn't. No, I don't see it. 
I, I don't see NASCAR ever allowing an, an open wheel anyone running with a national series at a road course. Because if IndyCar went to Road yeah. America or Sonoma or Watkins Glen... see how much faster the IndyCars were? Exactly. Yeah. It's like the same reason IndyCar won't pair up with F1 on the same track. That's not IndyCar's doing. No, but I don't think IndyCar's going to try to... I don't think F1 is going to have a problem with being faster than IndyCar at any given track. But they don't like to put that to the test, so... It's a different matter. In, in another day and age, maybe. These days, I don't know. Anyhow, right. this is sort of a meandering way to say that Iowa is is a very dead schedule, and that having the trucks as the as the Friday to IndyCar Saturday might not be the best trajectory overall for that event. If I if I say Iowa, what's the first racetrack that comes to your mind? What? If I say Iowa, what's the first racetrack in the Race state of Iowa? track in the state of Iowa. That comes to your mind. I only know of Iowa Speedway. Well, the, the Knoxville National There you go, Series. right there. Yeah. Knoxville. Yeah. Iowa is open wheel. They are sprint cars. Iowa drew very well when USAC ran with, I with IndyCar there. Now, I know USAC and Silver Crown is in a world of hurt right now, especially in their pavement Silver Crown program, mm -hmm. and they're getting very few entrance in those because, well, because they're idiots. <laughs> um, I, I, think, I think you draw better on an IndyCar weekend if you put Silver Crown back than you do with the NASCAR trucks. I agree with you. And I you put them. I, the, and you the put them. If you put IndyCar at, at 7:30 on Sunday, at Saturday night, you put USAC Silver Crown at five o'clock. I agree with you absolutely. <coughs> the problem is not that anybody questions that. The problem is that NASCAR has bought the friggin' track. Well, there is that too. Yeah, and who let that happen? I will never understand. But Roger Penske sold the NASCAR. Well, perhaps the people at 16th and Georgetown need to be taking a different look at their assets. I talked to Mark Miles about that. Uh-huh, and? That ain't gonna happen. Mm. Well, then, everybody hurts. Yeah. Everybody hurts. I, I knew that was coming. <laughs> You're so predictable. Yeah, well, I've had a couple glasses of wine now. What else do we need to talk about with Iowa? Well, I don't know. There was a race there. Yeah, there was, as it turns out. Uh, let's see. Quite a Tony, number of caution flags compared to our other oval races. Tony Kanaan, once again, dominates the race. It's funny. He dominates Iowa. 247 out of 300 yeah, laps led. That would be called domination. Yeah. Uh, he went, He he is by far the strongest car in Iowa. I don't know if he would lead the most laps, but being there, he was the strongest car in Iowa. He loses because he pits early. Mm-hmm. By far the most dominant car at Iowa. He loses because he doesn't pit and somebody else's does. Yeah. It's a story of, of many the problem of being races. the leader. Yeah. Whatever the leader doesn't do. Well, and he pushed himself into the lead, didn't he? Power was in the lead in the early going, and didn't Kanan blow by him? Where? Or am I thinking of a different race? Not at Iowa. Power was never close in Iowa. Uh, who was it? Who had pull? Dixon. I must be thinking of, was it, oh, I feel like an idiot now. 
No, there was a race where somebody was leading and then Kanan pushed his way by and it was it was really early on. Maybe it wasn't Iowa. Anyway. Could have been Pocono. Montoya was strong early. Power was strong I was early. so out of it when I watched Iowa because that day I was at Mosport all day and I had to get up at 6 a.m. to go to Mosport again the next day. So I really... claim the, the race itself... Uh, I'm sorry, what was that? Uh failed to hold your attention? It, no, that might have been because I was half asleep and Maybe. I was tired. Mm-hmm. I tried. I really tried. But I mean, honestly, most of the time in that kind of situation, an IndyCar race does hold my attention. I don't know. I don't know what you were watching. Though. That whole sort of, you know, the rain delay and then they came back from the rain delay and up until then, until the first yellow, not even the first yellow. Oh, you know what? The first yellow is worth talking about, though. That was a lotion and Sato again. <laughs> Paul hangs his head. <laughs> why, why, why don't we just put a mic on AJ during the race? Yeah. It'd be like the NFL. Put him in the booth. It would be awesome. Uh, he doesn't need to be in the booth. <laughs> he might have a little bit of Him and PT? Oh, my gosh. That would be good television, let me tell you. Put him right next to Chiba. That'd be good. <laughs> Yeah, Here's I, Kevin Coogan when you need him. Did, uh, I don't know what, yeah, a lotion. First of all, nobody loves more front wing as much as we do. <laughs> but putting those three turns of front wing on a rookie driver on a bullring oval, mm. you're just setting them up for disaster. <laughs> I mean, that's just not even fair. And then, yeah, he, he gets a little aggressive so at the start. So did they offer it to him, or was he asking for it? I don't know. You, oh, right, because you had jacked that dick. Yeah, Jackson. Yeah. Oh. Um, but if he's offering it up, you you don't give a rookie with no bullring oval experience three turns of front wing after 30-some laps, yeah. something like that. Right. Yeah, so he gets a little aggressive and gets down on the apron and wipes it wipes out and takes out Sato with him. Again. And AJ goes off. Again. At least he was on the lead lap this part. Mm-hmm. Legitimately racing for <laughs> position. Before the green flag had come out. But, <laughs> yes. Oh, God. Uh, okay, so what happened the rest of the race? Uh, we Wait, got remind us of what AJ said. I don't know. I don't remember what he said. Basically, he just said he got a bunch of damn idiots out there that <laughs> don't know what the hell they're doing. <laughs> Paraphrasing, I'm sure. And by a bunch, he meant a lotion. Yes, you have one Russian guy. Right. Um, so, um, TK runs away at the race. The drive of the race. Oh, first, uh, table slap for that one. Table slap for that one, because I'm going to pat my own back for this one. <laughs> Warning, self-inflicted pat that back padding going on right now. Because I sure ain't doing it. <laughs> Drive of the race early on for the gentleman that started in the... He's going to the box score. Going folks. to the box score. Driver of the number 17 who started 17th and ended uh, finished 17th. Here we go. Mm-hmm. But actually got up to third place Sebastian Saavedra. And? And at 8.59... Central Daylight Time. <laughs> I sent a text to you. You did? I sent a text to you. Yes. The text simply read, and I'll pull it up looking here. it up now. I am looking up, sorry. I, yeah, don't accuracy and reporting. Accuracy. <laughs> the actual quote was, 
too much dead air. Hurry up. Hold on. <laughs> the actual quote at nine at eight fifty nine was it's about time for Savedra to wallet. Just saying. Now, to your credit, you did respond a minute later and said we were just saying the same thing. We were. You were. Two minutes later, at 10.02, I'm sorry, at 9.02 Central Daylight Time, which is approximately six laps later uh-huh. at Iowa, called 20-second laps, he puts it in the wall. <laughs> yeah. You knew it was coming. Throws down the mic. You knew it was coming. Yeah. It was like a couple years ago, I would guess... It was either 10 or 12, because I missed 11, that Sato ran extremely well in this race. And he had gotten up to like third That's or fourth. That's right, yeah. And you knew he was going to throw it away. And just about the time you thought he was going to throw it away, he puts it in the wall. I think it was on a restart, maybe. You know, the box score says that Savager was mechanical. It's mechanical because he got back in the race and repaired it, and then he... Right, okay. Yeah. That's sort of like when Honda claimed that the uh, electronics failed in their engine. Right. You know, they sort of right. forgot to tell you that the uh, cylinder. Did we ever here. find out what happened to Muertes? Because he's marked on the box score with driver, driver illness. illness. Sort of ominous. Never heard of that. No. So, Savagra, to his credit, he, he actually did run very well for the first, what, 150 laps? Hang on, let me find it. Oh, we'll show him the box score. No, I will. Oh, the yellow flags, yeah. Uh, Contact, car 17. Which box score am I looking at here? Right, too I many box scores, I've had too much wine. 17. Actually, none of the yellow flags are listed as being caused by the 17. Oh, oh wait, here it is. 10 laps from 161. Alright, so he went 160 laps. He actually drove very well for those 160 laps. Mm. Banzai. But I mean, he, he, certainly, he started 17th, got up to 3rd. Mm-hmm. He passed his way through most of those. He passed Power. He passed Dixon. Moments, you know. He passed Pagano. Yeah. He earned his way up there. Mm-hmm. He ran out of talent once he got there, but... No. <laughs> That being said, I love that phrase. I can't help myself. (laughs) All right, Spurner. Oh dear, we have to wrap this up soon because we're getting so. All right, I okay. So, (laughs) Savager runs out of talent. Then, um, what happens after that? (laughs) And back to the box score. What this? This is Iowa. This one here. Here you go. (laughs) You know, again, I know nobody listens to me. But I've been beating this drum for years. Uh-huh. Iowa is a bucket list race. Uh-huh. It has always been that good. Yeah. Too many loud cars on this road. It's amazing, though. Every year, people seem to be surprised by how good the Iowa race is. And I don't get it. Who's Every surprised? Year. I wasn't surprised. No, it just seems like everyone's like, oh, wow, that was a great race at Iowa. That was a great race at Iowa. Uh, yeah, okay. I don't know who you circulate with, but nobody's ever surprised who I know because everybody knows that Iowa's awesome. Then why are there... Why know. is it not sold out? I don't get it. Yeah, well, there's that. All right, so we get to the strategy at the end. Hunter Ray, I don't know what position he was in, but Andretti, for the most part, and I think I had actually made the tweet at some point, whether it was from my own account or from the uh, more front-wing account, 
I made the comment that it seemed like uh, Ganassi had stolen Andretti's mojo during this race. Nobody from Andretti seemed particularly. Ryan Hunter Ray only only led the last two laps. Only led the last two laps. Yeah. Nobody from Andretti. Marco Carlos Carlos ran okay. <laughs> Hinchcliffe was fastest in the very first practice session. It was 15 minutes rained out. Right. You know, that doesn't mean much for the race. No, but everybody up here was like, Hinchcliffe was fastest. Everybody really? Yeah. Just like that? Yeah. Were they really? Arms, arms flailing yeah. and everything? Because <laughs> uh, we were all at Mosport, right? And so, of course, people come up to me at Mosport in the press room and they're like, did you hear that Hinchcliffe was fastest this morning? I'm like, yes, but it rained. It was only fit. Yeah, but Hinchcliffe was fastest this morning. He's going to be fast. Where did he start? I don't remember. Uh, 14. Not that quite, is the rabidity. The rabidity of Canadian IndyCar fans and rab- the rabidness. Oh, Hello, Jacob. Rabidity is wow, he just scared the crap out of me. Jacob Black is here, formerly of Speed TV Australia. Now no, of absolutely Autos, nothing. Autos.ca. He writes a weekly column called The Black Flag that covers motorsport on a weekly basis. Covers motorsport, inverted commas, please. Your Australian <laughs> accent is as crappy as your Wisconsin. What? Oh, your socks, but anyway. <laughs> it's, uh, it's good to be on your podcast, even though I didn't realize you were still recording it. No, you just, just kind of barged in, is what you've done. Well, you better not have said it in drunk. Oh, you drove home. I'm not drunk, I drove home. You better edit that out. He's Australian. <laughs> Bloody hell. Anyway, good to be here. What is this? Yeah, black flag. Hilarious, inaccurate. Fun times. Fun times. Yes. All right, Nonetheless, really okay, as I said during the break, anyway, Paul wants, Paul wants to... I don't know what means. So rabid, like, like rabies. Oh, really? Yes. Rabies and rabbit are actually related. Welcome to Canada. Are You'll are be educated up here. Are they really? Yes. Oh. Nonetheless, I made right. the comment Goodbye, that Jacob. It, it seemed that... Paul wants to talk now. Here no. That Ganassi no. had, had okay. very well... There's, one, there's supper for you in there. It's very good, by the way. <laughs> that Ganassi had really stolen Andretti's mojo during this race because Canon um, ran away with the race, quite honestly. Dixon was a strong second, and Briscoe maybe had his best race of the year. Poor uh-huh. Charlie kind of got left behind, but you yeah, know, he didn't run bad. Uh, but Marco wasn't all that effective. Ryan was probably well. Marco had a mechanical, didn't he? Marco blew his engine with uh, I don't know. Two thirty-one. All right, eighty laps to go. Seventy. Seventy. Good math, engineer. You like that? I don't know if I can't go. But I mean, Marco was never really that much in the race. He was a called a fourth to fifth place car. Mm-hmm. Ryan was probably a uh, fifth to seventh place car. Um, Carlos was a lower top ten, and and Hinch was probably in that same ballpark. So none Hinch of the finished sixth. None of the Andretti cars really had the car to win, and Ganassi really had run away with it. And yet, and yet, Andretti cars had won this race for the past four years. Four in years a row. in a row, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. And they were not ever really this last minute. They tended to be sort of yeah, runaways. Uh, James dominated in uh, last in, year in 2013. Yeah. 2012 was. Hunter Ray again, I think. Hunter Ray. Marco in 11, TK won late in 10. I forget who he passed. 
in that race. Mm -hmm. But he passed someone with maybe uh, five to eight laps to go late in that race. It may have been Marco, who was his teammate at the time. Uh, so, so Andretti's just been very good. Andretti has a great short oval program. Mm -hmm. They really do. Um, but Ganassi had this had this race won, and unfortunately they kind of got snookered out at the end on some strategy. And it's one of those things where you almost, for years, people did not want not only not want to cheer for Ganassi, but didn't want to... Are you falling asleep? Uh, no. <laughs> trying to make that room over there stop spinning right now. <laughs> you heard it here first, folks. <laughs> um, but it, it's one of those things where Ganassi had just been so dominant for years, and yet they're back in this position now where people are almost cheering for them. And, and TK has a way of doing that to it. Too. It's true. If Dario was there, I don't think anyone would feel sorry for him this year. Mm. Yeah, that's a good point. I don't hear anybody really playing the, the world's smallest fiddle for Dixon. No. No. No, I don't think so. People, uh, but uh, but what's like going on over there, do you think? Because it's not like other teams are not making the Chevrolet engine work. No, but I... Yeah, to say they and that's really the well. only variable that's changed. Yeah, but they Apart weren't so strong the last the few chemistry races. In the chemistry in, in the team. Agreed, but I think they've found that chemistry lately. And with a little luck going their way, mm. they should have won Pocono. They should have won Iowa. Yeah. They're close. They're right on the cusp. They're on the cusp. I mean, they're, they're not only on the cusp of winning, they're on the cusp of dominating, to be quite honest. Mm. I could see them running the table this weekend. I could see them, you know, we touched on it earlier, Dixon trouncing the field again at Mid-Ohio. Yeah. Um, then they go to Milwaukee, which you hate, obviously. Shut so up! Andretti will probably dominate there again. And <laughs> I, I put my. I would love to get. To, actually, I would really love to get to to Milwaukee. I think I'm going to Milwaukee this year. I've never been to Milwaukee. I, haven't either. I would love to be at that time. You've never been? Uh -huh. I thought you did. Nope. No. And then Sonoma, where Will Power will probably win again. And then you go to California, where it's a total toss-up. Yeah. Uh, but. Uh, the, the natural, at least at Road Ohio. Road Ohio. <laughs> We're getting to the, 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 the raw edges of the end of this podcast, folks. At Mid-Ohio, you can almost... Paul's five glasses of wine and 1.5 hours of sleep are catching up with him. <laughs> oh, you're no left. <laughs> yes. Um, but, but Road you know, Ohio is what yeah. you're <laughs> Ganassi, yeah, they haven't had the results quite in the last couple of races, but they've produced and they, yeah. they've shown well enough that, to me, I would fear Ganassi if I was one of their competitors. Absolutely. Jacob is back with the supper. Hey, come here real quick, Jacob. Especially if you're a choke artist. Hey, come here real quick. I, I gotta ask you something. Oh, here we go. Jacob Black, Autos.ca, is back. Um, Oh, he's stealing. <laughs> he's stealing roasted potatoes. If we're gonna eat meat, you'll die. <laughs> Move it. <laughs> there is dinner stealing happening right now on the podcast. This is awesome. Steph makes a meat flame stick, by the way. Why did you put some Tabasco on there? Sriracha. He oh, cannot eat food that doesn't have hot sauce on it. Anyway, he's got a bit of a problem. Potatoes, but you piss his meat right off. That's fine. <laughs> 
All right. This is getting silly. We better wrap it up. Do we have anything else to say before we sign off? Will Power is a choke artist. Really? See? You're going on record with See? that, aren't you? Um, you do know you just went on record with your uh, wife's uh, truck husband, right? Um, yeah. I love Will Power. I'm Australian. I've been a Will Power fan for years and years and years. Ever since he choked at the IndyCar Grand Prix in the yellow and green thing, whatever it was. Aussie vineyards or whatever it was and binned it there from seven seconds down in front. He's a choke artist. It makes me sad. I hope he fixes it. It seems like he's fixed it to me. But then again... He won't acknowledge it. Well, you know, maybe if he could enter a pit lane. I was going to say, it doesn't matter if he avoids the walls if he can't avoid entering pit lane at 75 miles or an hour. Or avoid hoses. Or taking his teammate all the way down to the uh, pit wall. Yeah, that one I'm going to pass him on. Why? How? No, I'm not going to pass him because it was the right thing. It was the wrong thing. It was totally the wrong thing. But of all the wrong things he's done, that was the one that I went, oh, that's defendable. How? <laughs> Why? Because it wasn't just a stupid choke. It was a it was a legitimate like balls oh, out, teeth out, aggressive move for the win. It because he de- because he deliberately took his own teammate exactly. down to the wall. Deliberate mistakes are better than fuck ups. This is Australian logic, oh, well. folks. <laughs> it, yeah, you're worse than drunk. <laughs> I love you too, Paul. <laughs> Thanks for letting me. Bro- oh, never mind. <laughs> I'm feeling some tension here. Jacob's still got his rugby uniform on. I think Paul had better be careful. (laughs) (laughs) He's like 4'11". Oh, no! Which is conveniently where the fence on the balcony (laughs) is. I did mention that earlier. Yes. Anyhow. Do we have anything else that we should discuss before we wrap up? Are you editing this tonight? No. Oh. (laughs) That's not the spirit of this style of podcast. Everybody's getting everything straight up here. So let's wrap up. Do you have anything else that we need to discuss? And Jacob has left the screen door wide open, so just excuse me for a moment. Uh, what else do we have to discuss? Iowa. Anything else from Iowa? Oh, we haven't talked about Jack losing his... Oh, my gosh. Gourd. <laughs> okay, anybody that... that, that uh follows me either on Facebook or Twitter knows my son Jackson, who at the way by the way, is little of... At the way, that's the point that Paul is at now tonight. He can't even use proper... The second bottle is empty, by the way. (laughs) If you're following us on Twitter, he is at Littlefield of 33. Um... He is a diehard willpower fan. I don't know where I went wrong, <laughs> but somehow he has become this dire, <laughs> huge willpower fan. And uh, so, Will, late in the race after the uh, after the the restart for the uh, Montoya and Carpenter incident, which by the way we didn't discuss. By the way, we probably should at some point talk about that. Yeah. Nonetheless. Uh, after that restart, Will was sauce and shit all over the box score now. Sriracha, thank you. Sorry. Well, I, I, got, tobacco sauce. I don't know I where Will tobacco. started. Probably third, fourth, fifth, somewhere in that ballpark. We can find out. Who? Yeah. Power? Yeah, where did he restart? You won't feel restart. No, not restart, no. So then he brushes the wall with about six laps to go, and Jackson, bless his heart, just collapses in a pile of gigantic crocodile tears. And he was a mother, no. It's not like the like the fake whiny I want the toy of the store. It's the like completely broken hearted gigantic 
gigantic tears like streaming uncontrollably down his face buries his head in his lap because he doesn't want to see anyone crying and his second favorite driver is Ryan Hunter Ray so I have to somehow console him enough that even though Will has put his car somewhat predictably into the wall that his second favorite guy is about to ready to forgive me press dog to inhale Tony Kanaan for the win and luckily I, I, I got Jackson to snap out of it quick enough and he got to see Ryan win who, by the way Jackson's been to two races at Iowa Speedway now mm-hmm. Ryan Hunter Ray has won both of those races ah. so Ryan if you're listening <coughs> Jackson's a bit of a lucky charm just saying you know I'm not saying but I'm saying here uh, you might know. want to hook Paul up with some VIP passes. I want to hook us up. <laughs> like a brother out here. Uh, so, and Jackson's very quick to point out that uh, he has been at both, uh, that, that Ryan has run both of his races there. Uh, but yes, it was very sad to see the, the stream of gigantic tears coming down from somebody so young and so passionate about a driver. So You know, I love... Not that he had that extreme of emotion, but that he is a big enough fan to be capable of that extreme of emotion. You know, I think that's missing in the in the younger fan base. Yeah, I took I took um, Maddie, my daughter, Madeline, to visit my editor yesterday. I was dropping something off to him just at the end of the day yesterday. We stopped into the Star um, editorial, the newsroom, for ten minutes, and in that ten minutes, it came up. Who's your favorite driver, Maddie? And she said, James Hinchcliffe. And my favorite motorbike rider is Mark Marquez. She's three and a half. You guys love your little... We do. Ladies, don't you? We, yeah. You're so patriotic. Shut up. We would, she'd probably love a Canadian if there were any in MotoGP. But anyway. So, no, it's... It, you know... Yesterday, I had the opportunity. I had some spare tickets, and I was going for the, to, for the Saturday race in Toronto, I was going to kind of use them as a giveaway for, for the site, but I heard from my editor at the Star that there was, a, there was a co-worker of his in the newsroom at the Star who has a son who's 14 years old with type 1 diabetes, who had been at the race last year and met Charlie Kimball and had that irreplaceable experience that you can have with Charlie Kimball if you connect with him over having type 1 diabetes and look what I can do I'm a race car driver you can do anything and you know I had the opportunity to give that that teenager that same experience again this year and I said you know what there's no better use for these tickets because fostering that young fan experience is probably the best thing that you can do and you know you talk about Maddie and James, and, and I adore Maddie. Thanks for letting me read her to sleep tonight, by the way. Um, but I love that Jackson's favorite driver is Will Power, who's not nationally Yeah, that's really cool. You know, Jackson loves him because... Hell, I don't know why he likes him, but he does. Yeah. Maybe it's because he has a kind of cool name and you know, gets a cool TV commercial. I don't know. I don't know why he likes him. Maybe it's, ask same, him maybe it's the same reason I really like Bobby Rahal growing up. I don't know, but Bobby Rahal won the very... My very, very, very first auto racing memory was my father coming home from the 1986 500. And I asked him, Dad, who won the race? And he said, Bobby Rahal. Mm. And from that time on, from May 31st, 1986, 
until you know Ray Hall retired in 1998. Mm-hmm. I was a huge Bobby Ray Hall fan. I know a lot of people have the same story. Huge, because that was the first thing I connected to auto racing with. And whether that, you know, for Maddie, maybe she connects to James, and that's the first one. Yeah. Or, or for you, maybe uh, Paul Tracy was your first Canadian that you connected yeah. to. Or um, actually, I would say Scott Goodyear. Really? I came in. I came in just a tiny bit before Paul's career started. Those potatoes are good, by the way. Thank you. They're very uh, that sriracha goes a long way. Actually, it's got a nice flavor. It does. Um, but yeah, no, Scott Goodyear was the first guy, the first Canadian that I recognized the name of. Paul really didn't seriously enter the scene until about '92. Mm-hmm. No, I was in about two years before that. Yeah, yeah, you're right. Of course, Scott really didn't enter the scene until about '92 either. Drove for but Derek. But he was around. He was around. He drove for Derek Walker, but he kind of got the old Cosworth engine. And but Paul won the ARS championship in 1990. Which one? The prelude to the Indy Lights, the American Racing Series, the ARS. Remember that? Uh, cannot say I'm too worried. No, it's yeah. I got a, a shirt signed in my in my lounge room. I remember the American Indy Car Series. That was more like no, a, no. It was it was the American Racing Series. I think it stood for ARS. It was the it was the precursor to Indy Lights. And Paul won the championship to that in 1990. I think the next year was when Indy Lights formally started. Huh. And anyway, so in 1991, Paul had sort of a part. Uh, that was when Paul had his first races with Dale Coyne. Mm-hmm. And then in 92 was when I think he had his first full time ride. Yep. No, no, not full time. First part time ride with Penske. Right. And then 93 was his first year full time. Yes. So that was a bit later than my fandom started. So Scott Goodyear was the first Canadian name that I really heard. Well, and Lud- Ludwig Heimrath. Ludwig Heimrath Jr. Mm-hmm. You know what? I, I think that's probably about as good a point as we can finish this podcast <laughs> on. Because I can almost guarantee that's the first time, and almost guarantee the last time Ludwig Heimrath Jr. will ever uh, make an appearance on this, on this podcast. podcast. <laughs> Fair enough. Well, okay, have we covered all the points we need to cover? We should probably do a little bit of self-serving promotion. We haven't called uh, picks for this weekend yet. Oh, Which, by the yeah. way, we didn't call last weekend either. We've got two. I was totally going to call Juan Montoya to win the Pokemon. Oh, too. of course you were. <laughs> um, I can't pick... Oh, James is going to be so mad at me, but I can't pick Hinch. I can't. I'll say power for one. I don't know for the other. Pagano's on a roll on those road courses. He's not quite there on ovals yet, but he's pretty well. You've got to count him in the top three to beat on, the, on these road and street courses right now. I think Ganassi's got their mojo back. Dixon mopped the floor with the entire field this year. I'll take him for one of the races. Standing on top of the podium for the other one. He will not drop the trophy this year. Sebastian Gordon. Oh, shot. With an E, Bourdais. Really? That's bold, man. We'll be laughing about that next week. We don't all look at the box score from last week and pick the one of them. Excuse me. 
Carlos. I didn't see you pick Carlos Huertas to win in Houston. Thank you very much. Didn't see me picking uh, Simon Pagano this weekend either. I don't know. Well, we will. We'll see who's laughing on Monday. Uh huh. Uh huh. Uh huh. Mm-hmm. All right. So. Thanks for dinner. You're very welcome. You're still stuffing your face. It's great. <laughs> These potatoes with sriracha sauce are really good. <laughs> They're spicy. And well, yeah. since we're out of wine at this point, I might have to go down to Garish and... Uh, no, I've got go beer. Oh, you do? Yeah, I do. Oh, yeah. yeah, we'll keep going after this is done. A um, little bit of self-serving, self-promotion before we sign off, though. So we are both on site all weekend long at the um, the two NTO the Honda Indy in, Honda Indy Toronto. Seems all proper. You got two NTO. You got two in MFW. That's right. Paul's going to be doing a little bit of the lion's share on the mornings because, like I said, I've got the Saturday and the Sunday morning appearances on five ninety fans Sportsnet Radio here in Toronto. And I'm also doing some tweeting and some some feature work for the Formula 1600s, the Toyo Tires Formula 1600 Championship that's based here on Ontario. So I've got a bit of a busy slate. Um, Paul's going to be definitely pulling his his weight as we keep up, but we will absolutely. Oh, he's ringing the bottle out now. <laughs> we'll absolutely have the live blog going all weekend long. We'll be keeping very much on top of the event summary, trying to make sure that we post all of the qualifying and race reports to, to keep, make sure, he just, I'm sorry, he just did something really gross with the wine bottle in his what? tongue just now. <laughs> what? I did that out. Anyway. Uh, yes, we will have the live blog, we will have the event summaries, we will have all of the reports on qualifying and the race from not only IndyCar but the Mazda Road to Indy, and that's going to keep us plenty busy, I would say. All seven series. Yeah, no, not all seven. The no, Ultra 94 GT, GT3 Cup, wait, the Ultra 94 Porsche GT3 Cup Canada Challenge presented by Michelin will not be on our slate of events this weekend, although it is a very good little series. And you know what? That brings up a point that I meant to mention. It really does. Because Scott Hargrove, who is... Pro-Mazda. Pro-Mazda. I did not check the point standings before we started recording. I want to say he's just barely second to Spencer Piggott right now. But he won in Indianapolis. He did. But I think he's just a tiny bit fallen back in that point standings. But he has actually been contesting the full season in the blah, 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 Porsche, blah, 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 GT3 Cup Canada. Um, And has been very competitive. Is actually leading the points, if I remember correctly, right now in that against the veteran Chris Green and Spencer Piggott, who is also running the GT3 Cup Canada Series, a little bit of a rivalry carried over from the Pro Mazda Championship this year. So he is racing in Toronto in that series, and so that is going to be something to watch if you're going to be joining us at the track this weekend and see how he fares when he's um, up against his his rivals in, in the sports car series as opposed to open wheel. So... With that, I think we might be done. Except Paul is now looking at his phone because he's easily distractible. What? <laughs> Should we sign off now? Yes. Yes. I think we're two hours in now. Ooh, look, go, 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 go. Ooh, look, go, 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 go. How are you doing? Have you not watched any Bob and Doug McKenzie at all? Who? Ah, uh, I don't want to talk to you anymore. 
All right, we're done. Did I have strange brew? Yes. Oh, really? Oh. We started the podcast with Bob and Doug McKenzie. And we McKenzie just... Financial? No. Uh, my head hurts. I have to go now. <laughs> Please join us this weekend. It will be lots of fun. We're going to have lots and lots of coverage. So keep tabs on morefrontwing.com all weekend long. And as the traffic gets louder and louder, we wish to tell you, please, if you need IndyCar and Mazda Road to Indy news and muse this weekend, get Get a grip with with more front front wing. wing.